welcome everyone to Dayton, Ohio to the 1993 King of the Ring. This is one I've been waiting for for a long time. It's one I don't think I ever watched bell to bell, start to finish. And I'm going to tell you something. I've been, wanting, I've been wanting to say something for a long time. And when I say it, many of you are going to question my loyalty to Bret Hart and the Master Narrative. So let me clear that up up front. I have no loyalty to Bret Hart and the Master Narrative. And let me tell you why. All right, that's a Jim Ross quote. If you don't know it, ladies and gentlemen, it was an interesting night. It was one I look forward to talking about. It's one that kind of blew my mind at certain places. I thought the crowd was one of the best that I have seen in a long time. Some of the matches, they were fresh. They were new. This king of the ring tournament in an era where we're trying things new. And even if it's old, we pretend like it's brand new. Hulk Hogan, oh my God, the skeleton returned. Uh, if anything, they, they let us know that he dropped weight for this matchup, and they were not telling a lie. We're going to get into everything. Uh, this is a night, I think, that it, according to what all I've ever heard, Bret Hart wrestles his three matches, and they're all so different, and they're all so lovely, and they're all so beautiful, that how can anyone deny Bret Hart? But like I said, I'm going to deny Bret Hart. It's not that he didn't have great matches. We'll get into it. I just think not only should he have not beat Hulk Hogan, which I've already said, he should not have won King of the Ring, but we'll see what's going to be said. It's going to be an interesting day. Ladies and gentlemen, I am the mystic and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague. He is Mr. Ms. Fan. The Brain. Greetings, Miz Fan fans. Welcome indeed to King of the Ring 1993, the first pay-per-view with its kind of five to the big four. It's going to be an interesting night indeed. And if you thought my man Mystic had any loyalty to Bret Hart, then you have not been paying attention for the past several years. And if you thought either of us had any loyalty to any master narrative, well then, my friend, you have definitely not been paying attention to the theme of this show since the day we started it. It's going to be a lot of good conversation tonight. A lot of stuff is going down. Mystic, my friend, we got to get right into it. Yeah, this is a this is a big show for the WWF. You, like I said last week, you can like it, you can love it, you can hate it, but we have left the big four and the pay-per-view structure as we know it will never, ever be the same. Um, I know that you've watched a lot of WWF for your Bobby Heenan series for other reasons. When did you last watch King of the Ring, to your knowledge, uh, before the show? Oh, my, my, my. When is the last time that I watched that? Probably... Probably a few years ago, maybe uh, three years ago, something like that. Okay, because just it is different, I think, at times when you're seeing something for the first time and you've heard mm-hmm. about thirty years of narrative about it before <laughs> you watch it. Indeed. I don't know. We'll get into all of it. We'll break it down. There were times, and if I could change maybe two things on this show, which we'll get into, there were times that I was like, "This is a damn good pay per view," and I'm having a really good time. Yeah, I okay. mean, uh, <laughs> I, th- I think this is a very fun show. I think uh, Bret Hart fans would agree. I think uh, anti-Hogan fans would agree. Um, you know, uh, Mr. Perfect, uh, Razor Ramon, lots of people get a chance to shine on this show. I, I don't know. It might be their best pay-per-view of 1993. I'm not sure, but it, it could be. It's up there. 
Yeah. I've enjoyed WrestleMania 9. I've enjoyed King of the Ring. It's got this different energy. Like, I feel like we're entering a different series of pay-per-views. I don't know if SummerSlam will feel like that, too. I know I've watched Survivor Series enough to know that uh, we'll, we'll wait for that one. But <laughs> we'll enjoy this while it's here is what, I, what I'm trying to say. All right, all right. I mean, we know what's coming at SummerSlam, so we'll we'll definitely have to see what flavor that has. But, yeah, I mean, um, it, this is a, a very strong show, I think. I, I think it really shows what they were capable of in 1993, which uh, has its problems, but I think uh, in some ways is uh, an underrated year. I wish we were doing weekly shows because then someone could let me know other than the fact that Bret Hart, I think, claims he was promised to beat all these guys, why he was, why he has a right um, and kind of a, a claim on beating Hulk Hogan or the Ultimate Warrior. I think it would help me to further the conversation of the show if we were still doing weekly shows. Because as of right now, nobody can respond because they haven't heard the last show. And all I can keep saying is what I've been saying. <laughs> I mean, eventually, uh, people will hear this show, so uh, if you do want to sound off on Twitter, I'm at SpectralJet, in LOP forums, in the comments, uh, I'm sure we will return to this conversation more than once, so feel free I to I believe this is the night that Bret Hart arrives at the arena, and Bret Hart, like Jerry Lawler, who we'll talk about later, is an artist, so he finds a whiteboard or a chalkboard or whatever the hell's back there, and he draws a picture of Bruce Beefcake's face in Hulk Hogan's ass, and then has some kind of statement about be careful because, like, the turning the screws in his face. <laughs> so well, I think that's how King of the Ring starts. <laughs> Is that a true story? I think so. Well, then he should have won just for that, to be honest, because that, um, that sounds like he's doing God's work right there. It's an interesting thing. I don't know if this is where he has a fallout with Hogan or if they've already had it by now, but they have a screaming match where I think they drag each other to Vince McMahon's office a bunch of other shenanigans. I'm so tired of it that I didn't look it up, so I don't really <laughs> care because if I had watched these and I was like, by God, Bret Hart should have beat Hulk Hogan, I would have looked it up. But, like, if I didn't know he was supposed to, other than the fact that he's being pushed by the WWF, what is the organic reason that you say this man has to be the world champion and he has to beat Hulk Hogan? It's a good question. I mean... I'm mixed here because at times I have thought that Hogan should have put Brett over, maybe just for the fact that he probably should have put anybody over who was going to actually be a long-term prospect. Maybe they thought Yokozuna was going to be that, so, you know, fair play if that's the case. I don't know, yeah. It's Hogan, you know, so I'm not going to sit here and maybe defend the fact that he didn't want to put Brett over, but uh, I think there are some weaknesses to argument as well. I just I used to think myself that like well sure. of course it's a crime that he didn't do it because uh, Bret Hart was the next guy up but I think anybody could have been the next guy up and it, you know Bret Hart's not burning buildings down and I have watched enough to say this and I never would have said this when I have been thinking about doing my Lex Luger argument I always start with Diesel because like I know for a fact that Diesel got a title ring he did not deserve <laughs> but. Bret Hart's title reign, if, if, there, if there is a bar that has to be cleared that Lex Luger could not clear, but Bret Hart did and Diesel did, I want to know what that bar is. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, the fact is nobody's in a position to really 
uh, follow Hogan at this point. Not not skeleton Hogan, but um, you know, prime Hogan. Nobody is really near that level of crowd connection. Certainly not on the level of uh, of drawing power of popularity. So I don't know. I guess the question is, do you have Hogan put over more people to try to make that happen? Or do you acknowledge that it's just not there yet and uh, go about your merry way? I don't know what the best answer would have been. I don't think Hogan's going to put over anybody. I think he put over Yoko because he thought on the chance that I come back to WWF, I get my win back from Yoko. Uh-huh. And I'm going to say I have never heard this, but I promise you. He, he wanted Eric Bischoff to sign Yokozuna at some point. Can we just say that that's true? <laughs> I can't imagine that it's not. So, yes, I'm with you. So I just don't know my question for people, because all my life I've, you know, like this crime of not. And I've always thought, too, like Bret Hart putting himself over by winning King of the Ring is a better win in a way, because Bret Hart is not like I don't know who the fans would even cheer. Maybe it depends on where you're at, but, you know. If Bret Hart beat Hulk Hogan, but the fans cheered Hulk Hogan, that's not doing much for uh, this babyface run. So, like, who knows what would have happened. But Bret Hart winning a tournament is a little more Bret Hart. And we're going to get into Bret Hart narratives because I know I'm probably going to be by myself in this. But that final matchup for me was not what what I've been sold my whole life. (laughs) Dear God, that was not it for me. Interesting. I think uh, we will have some differences there, but uh, we will talk about it as we go along i don't know it's an interesting point you bring up because yeah in practical terms i don't know these fans really might have cheered hogan over brett they could have even booed brett for losing uh for beating hogan you know and you're right that doesn't do him any favors so uh i don't know where does that leave us you're you're definitely having me rethink this further i was already kind of shaky on it now you're sort of dragging me over to your side on this one so yeah, I don't know. Interesting. We'll see here. Yeah, as I've always said, if it's 94 Brett, then it's a different conversation because he's the most popular guy in the company, and it's not close. I think part of it's Owen Hart. I think we had to give him credit when we get there. I think Owen mm. heats Brett Hart up a bit with that feud because it's a good one. Quite a bit, um, I would But think. Brett's a different guy, if I remember right, in 94. But right now, he has no claim over anyone else. My big question would be, I think if I'm booking this, Mr. Perfect wins King of the Ring, and then... <laughs> You got yourself like a, a Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect blow-off match in the future whenever you want it. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Bret's got one. You press Perfect a win. And, uh, I mean, you know how I feel about Mr. Perfect. I love Mr. Perfect. So if he had been king of the ring, that would have been uh, very much in my wheelhouse. I would have been all about it. And I don't know if it would have hurt Bret Hart at all. So it's a good point to think about. Yeah, king of the ring I would have done a lot differently. But then um, this is the last thing I'll say. Uh, disparaging Bret Hart because I do I think the Razor match is good I think the perfect match is great so I have a lot of things to say on that um, but the man has just been the world champion <clears throat> and so to me if that title ring was any way successful we're not doing Bret Hart and Roddy Piper with Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect like Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect Perfect's like the big brother Bret Hart's the underdog Mr. Perfect's kind of like sunning him like the man was just world champion for like half a year or more Mm. You know, like, I don't understand how we're right back where we were when he was IC champion. Yeah, or lower, maybe. Yeah, (laughs) or lower. It's confusing, for sure, because, you know, he beat Flair, he beat Michaels, uh, for whatever that's worth. Um, You know, he did all his stuff, he was a fighting champion, he came to work for eight years. 
um, you know, yeah, which did. is amazing, I guess. So, <laughs> and that's the thing. Strange. I don't necessarily blame Brett for all of this because, mm-hmm. like we said on this show, like sometimes the worst thing you can get is get the WWF booking as the world champion. <laughs> like these narratives are exhausting me. The eight and a half years thing was right. not a good narrative. Like with all three announcers. And this is just me, but I'm, I, I got to talk about it when we get there. Like all three announcers in that Bam Bam match that, that goes on for an hour and a half and a bear <laughs> hug is just like by the end, Bobby Heenan is just crying about how bad this is for Bret Hart. Like we all like, oh, nobody's ever been through this. Just call the match. My God, his courage is getting the best of him. And I was thinking like at least hulking up lasts like 20 seconds and then it's over. You don't need three <laughs> hours of suffering in order to like prove the point. Right, it's your just, fans can suffer for you. That's nice. So, <laughs> Bret Hart just reminds me of my fundamentalist religion days where you suffer to, to show your love, and I, I think I wasn't ready for all that again. Oh, boy. Let's bring it up some stuff. <laughs> okay, I mean, so I, in yeah, Bret yeah. Hart's favor, I would say, and you kind of touched on this as well, I don't... I feel like it's not very much related to Brad Hart's performance that he has dropped down from where he was. Uh, the yes. booking he received after becoming champion was truly awful. We talked about it at Survivor Series 1992. We had this complete dud of a non-story that he had to work with. Uh, he hardly had anything like that he was doing the whole time he was champion. So I don't know. Do you then say like, Give me a feud with Hogan. Give me a win over Hogan to, like, make up for what you lost. I mean, I don't know if it works that way, but maybe I can kind of see that. There'll be a lot of people in that line that, that give me a win over Hogan <laughs> to make me better line. You know, but I agree with the, the the booking. And that's something, like, we had to get away from WCW so we could go to the recognized leader in sports entertainment. And how is it that when Bret Hart's the world champion, his storylines suck? Then when Luger becomes a guy, his storylines suck and Brett's get better. Then when Diesel becomes the world champion, his storylines suck. So, like, can they ever, like, book a world champion decently? Yeah, I mean, um, it's not nearly as common as they would have you believe. Certainly they will tell you that they are the world leader in sports entertainment, but uh, there are many gaps in this reputation. And sometimes they do it so well, so, like, I get it, but sometimes they're just dropping the ball. and It never seems to be part of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, Bret Hart is going to get hot when WWF's trying to push Luger and ignoring Bret. Mm. Luger's going to be cold because WWF's not ignoring him. They're booking him. Like Diesel's going to have like the biggest win you could ever have in your life at Madison Square Garden in like eight seconds. <laughs> and then he's going to be like wearing like a sweater and being called, uh, you know, Probably Kevin, and Kevin is going to be giving, leaving milk out for Santa Claus. <laughs> so it's just, you know, at some point you got to say it's not anybody's fault except for the people booking. The, the ever so clever Bruce Pritchard and company might might have to share a little bit of the blame. <laughs> but don't expect them to say so. My God. So yeah. All right, I apologize to anyone ever. Anyone who's turning on King of the Ring is is doing it to hear a completely different narrative than I have saddled us with. So we're going to we're going to erase that for a bit and jump into this uh, real time. Um, I think it's I'm not shocked that it's called the first ever King of the Ring by Vince McMahon. Not only because they choose the history they want, but in a new generation coming era, I don't know why they would talk about ten years of King of the Rings that were just on house shows. So. This is all fresh, all new. Whoever wins it is the first king of the ring. And like I said, the only thing I would do differently, I think, about 
promoting this is really build it up. Like Hulk Hogan is gone. Hulk, they know Hulk Hogan's gone. We'll get to that, but mm-hmm. this is a wrestling era. So like make that King of the Ring mean something. Let everybody care about this King of the Ring as much as they can and get the best out of everybody. And they do a pretty good job with this, but that's kind of where we're at. This fresh event post Hulk Hogan in a way because it, <laughs> in will, a go way. On, it will go on last. I feel like we've been post Hulk Hogan like a few times now, and it never takes. After this, it's finally going to take for a while. I'll say thank you, WCW, for keeping him, because I think if they hadn't, WWF would have just, like, they wouldn't have turned him heel. They would just kept kept having him come back and, like, probably win the championship in five seconds every time he came back. So let's all be grateful that that didn't happen. I agree. I do think they would bring him back and do it again. And mm-hmm. at the same time, knowing everything I know, if somebody knocked on my door after watching King of the Ring this weekend and said, <laughs> put money on if Hulk Hogan's coming back to WWF or not, I would say this man is never coming back to wrestling again. <laughs> yeah, he's going to go off and have a successful Hollywood career and uh, win some Oscars probably. So, you know, no need. Oh, my God. One would argue that the performance that Hulk Hogan puts on, he put everybody not named Hulk Hogan over when he let, walked out the door. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. We'll see what I think about that when I get there. I've never seen such a – this is a one a one out of one out of whatever number you want to go to, but – Man, that that sunburnt skeleton is just a is a figure with Jimmy Hart in the jacket. We'll we'll get there, but man, that's that's a specific, that's a specific Hulk Hogan that oh, we're dealing yeah. with here. You won't see that Hulk Hogan again, not quite. As a child, now I know why I thought Luger was going to the last round because he is in the far bracket from Bret Hart. <laughs> that is uh, why I thought that. All right, sure. No, I mean I get it. I get it. Okay, so we got a lively crowd. We got Jim Ross, Randy Savage, and Bobby Heenan on commentary, and we're going to kick off with match one of the King of the Ring. It is Razor Ramon versus Brett the Hitman Hart. I'll just say about that commentary booth, uh, they're not perfect, but I kind of enjoy them, and I'm also grateful that we are not yet inflicted by Jerry Lawler. <laughs> I thought the best man in the booth on this night was Randy Savage, and that's wow. I've not said that. Interesting. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to talk about some Randy Savage quotes. <laughs> I think he was trying to make this matter in a way that I think Heenan and uh, Jim Ross were missing their cues with one another at times. <laughs> it's possible. Randy says, look, we know, he yeah, wants to put over Bret Hart so bad, you know, and he'll never really get the chance. So uh, this is what we got here. It's clear that Randy Savage loves Bret Hart and is forced to talk well about Hulk Hogan. <laughs> mm. So many people like Bret Hart. There's kind of this narrative that Bret Hart is like, oh, he's just bitter and he hates everyone. And yeah, I mean, he is bitter at times, but uh, I don't know. A lot of people love Bret Hart. And Bret Hart, if you really listen, like, he'll say good things about a lot of people. I think he just came out uh, saying, like, a bunch of good things about Sting or somebody. Um, So maybe he only dislikes kind of the asshole people. I don't know. It's possible. We'll just, we'll think about that for a moment. Yeah, he definitely, he's had a beautiful uh, path. Because, like, I'd like to, and this is the last, I, we got to move on past this whole Bret Hart thing, lest the imaginary <laughs> people that I'm thinking about get offended. Um, <laughs> I say, if but, you listen to this show and you expect us to have normal takes, then I don't know where you've been for the last yeah. several years. That, that's fair. Last time was a decade, so I think that's okay. Um, I feel like if Bret Hart, because the narrative is always, Bret Hart is rightfully pissed that Hulk Hogan won't put him over, whether Hogan ever said he would or not, because, like I said, there's a whole story behind that. But the thing is, 
Bret Hart being pissed off that Hogan is not putting him over is also Bret Hart being pissed off that Hulk Hogan is putting over Yokozuna. And I feel like if that was someone other than Bret Hart, there would be some commentary on why is that person pissed off that Hulk Hogan is putting over Yokozuna. I mean, it's a fair point. My only counter to that is I think we all know Yokozuna is not, and I've mentioned this before, is not like the long-term guy for the WWF. And if not Bret Hart, I don't know who else is, you know? So I, I don't think realistically he's going to be Mr. Perfect. I love him, but, you know, he's kind of older. He's kind of got the injuries, you know. He's going to be gone soon, we know. Um so if not him, then who? So I don't know. If you get on the idea that Hogan should have put over the next guy up, I guess I could see it, but that's just not guaranteed. You know, that's not necessarily going to happen in wrestling. No, I love your analysis because I think right there is the end of any disagreement because the people that are going to disagree with me are going to believe Hulk Hogan should have put over the next man up. And that's fair. But my rebuttal would be, I don't know who the next man up was. Because right. to me, I don't know why it's Bret Hart more than anybody else in the company. Right. I mean, I only say Bret Hart as the default because, I mean, can you give me somebody better positioned than Bret Hart to do it? Well, position, that's, this is my argument, though. Uh -huh. if, if it's not an organic run right. and I'm Hulk Hogan, I'm going to say, fuck that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you know, I, even the Ultimate Warrior, I, I there's a strong, to me... There's much more reason to put over the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania 6 than Bret Hart in 93. I can see that. I almost wonder now, <laughs> if Bret Hart had not been champion before, where would his popularity have been at this time? I honestly think it probably would have been a lot higher. So mm. you have to wonder about that. And that's back to what we were saying about how these... Because the WWF only wants babyface world champions, and so that's what they do well. So... Supposedly. Supposedly, right. I'm thinking like <laughs> Ric Flair was, w, was the NWA's champion for like a decade or more. So it'd be like if the NWA gave Flair all those title reigns, but all those title reigns sucked. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. And it's, it, like, The weird thing it's the is they did such a better job of booking Flair as champion. With yeah. The, the Savage feud and everything. So. And it's the Hogan. Like Hogan was really hot. And we can say like Hogan himself said that he got tired of it and stuff. So part of this is on Hogan. But the Hogan booking started sucking, too. Oh, yeah. Well, Hogan himself started sucking. But, yeah, you're right. Like, they didn't even book him well towards the end. I don't even want to get back into the whirlwind mess of, like, Hogan blaming WWF and WWF blaming Hogan for, like, everything going wrong. Rumble 92, just, like, that whole mess. Let's not even talk about that again. I'm just trying to figure out, other than the really hot era that we started, like, when are they going to get it right? Is it going to be when, like... <laughs> They're forced to push Steve Austin, who they don't even think is a talent. Like, when are they going to get this thing right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it, I think. And even then, we're going to have a close look at that mid-card, because I think uh, there are probably a lot of problems going on there that Austin made up for. Yeah, and we got Vince Russo, who that means Austin can't get a title reign more than, like, six weeks or something as well. So <laughs> It's just, it's mind-blowing, but this is why we do the show, because in real time as we're talking, I am, like, seeing things differently than how I've seen it, because I've always assumed that they just do a decent job. Like, I've always coveted the WWF title because I was a Lex Luger fan, and obviously his whole career is judged by the fact that he didn't get it. But then, listen to Kevin Nash talk about how he feels about how he was booked in his title reign, and he's correct on what he says for once. And then look at this Bret Hart stuff, you know, look at the last half of Hulk Hogan, 
Look at the Randy Savage World Title ring where he's wrestling the Ultimate Warrior in that horrible, horrible attempt at a rematch. Mm. You know, they got to get something right once in a while just to kind of balance this thing out. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I don't think that. I don't think they had everything wrong, you know, in this period or anything. So it's a mixed bag is what it is. You can't just say it was all bad. Um, Although sometimes maybe it will be all bad. We'll have to see. Well, I mean, babyface world champions. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, for that, it's few and far between, I think. I don't know. There's a lot I don't know of the coming years. So we're going to have to look carefully at what happens there. Is the best title reign in the early 90s, one of the, at least one of them, was or the best title reigns, Ric Flair and Yokozuna? Oh, I mean, I'd have to think about it, but my gut says yes, so. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's highly ironic. Yeah, yeah. If it's a man still at this time thinks we can't have a, we can't have a heel world champion. <clears throat> man, heel world champions are great. That's what I prefer. They should just get off their butts and, uh, you know, <laughs> realize that it's better and just go with it. Maybe the Brett, uh, cause I haven't watched a lot of 94, but I think the Brett versus his family versus Bob Backlund has to be really good because. Owen Hart's phenomenal, Bob Backlund's phenomenal, and the feuds are actually feuds, yeah. you know, where there's heat in the feuds, which is always nice. If a babyface doesn't get feuds with heat, you know, then you just sit around crying because there's a bear hug that might break the guy in half for like a half hour. <laughs> what? Oh, I have such a different impression of that match, but I, th- I know what you're talking about, though, so I can totally see where you're coming from. I look forward to hearing it because, like, I I like the narrative. Oh, Brett wrestled three completely different matches. It was mind blowing. Like, I would rather have experienced the narrative than to have my own. So, like, I'm happy to hear, you know, other opinions here. It'd be nice to experience the narrative. Sometimes it doesn't happen too much. So, I love this crowd because there's not a crowd like today where they're just booing the baby faces and cheering the heels. But like Razor Ramon, Lex Luger, and others have a contingent of fans. And I think they wanted it to have perfect boot the whole time, you know, until the handshake at the end, but they didn't go with that either. So no. <laughs> these fans liked who they liked. Yeah, man, and I'm I'm about that. Um, but the crowd is, uh, they're really on point in general because Razor comes out and what? They're chanting uh, one, two, three at him almost right yep. away. And that just happened, I think, just like a couple weeks ago. So that just tells you the success of that story and how invested this crowd is, and I'm very happy about both those things. Bobby Heenan keeps reminding us that Randy Savage started that chant, so I don't know if we're if that's for any reason or if we're still flirting with a another Razor Savage feud, but we keep getting that feud coming from Randy Savage or that <laughs> yeah. that chant. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Savage at all times is trying to like get a, a feud started with somebody. Like, I think he's just so obviously itching to not be in that commentary booth. Yeah. So I'm not even surprised at all. Yeah. So Razor, there's a giant banner for Razor and that banner, there's like a seven yeah. banners that that group has and they keep <laughs> changing them out. There's Props a pro Luger, yeah. pro Luger, pro Razor, pro Bobby Heenan banners throughout the night. It's a beautiful combination. Oh my God. Those, those fans are close to my heart. I think I liked. I can't remember Royal Rumble anymore, but I think I might like this match better. I think I did like this a little better. I think um, these two are amazingly uh, on on their best form around this time. You got Razor, and we've talked about how cool he is and how just like effortlessly good in the ring he is, and uh, they they got to turn him face. I think we are very close to that face turn because he is getting very popular with the crowd. Yeah, watch when he puts that short clothesline on Bret Hart. Listen to the crowd mm. after that. Yes, um, absolutely. 
Maybe Savage overdid it at times, but I did like playing up the 15-minute time limit and how that can go awry. Well, they, they want you to know what's going to happen in this uh, Luger-Tatanka match that we have coming up soon. Mm. Yeah, that, that, I, I cannot help but think that, like many things, the negative little side rule that they never use only <laughs> comes into play when Lex Luger comes up. <laughs> That's a great point. I, how many matches in WWF history and a time limit draw? You know, not much in the last uh, 30 years, but this this one does, so go figure. Yeah. I really like the towards the end when Bret Hart really turns it up, makes his comeback. Um, there's two almost endings, and I think the the one before the ending came off better than the than the last one. You mean the uh, the Razor's Edge reverse? Yes. Man, that was so cool! Like that alone makes me pop a lot for Bret Hart, and I guess I, that's what people are talking about. Like the great stuff he does, like that on this night, I feel like it does put him on a very high level in the company, at least as far as like that kind of thing goes i can see like cm punk is giving bret hart a lot of praise right now and i can see the similarities between kind of punk's wrestling style because i never followed punk that closely but there's it's very methodical and it's funny because punk just said that bret hart's timeless i think and i was thinking about how the opposite but i'm gonna give cm punk <laughs> the, the credit on this one like i love these finishes i think some of them are more clever in the bret hart's mind like I love this, but I would not have I would not have ended. If I could go back, I would not end on the little little backspin coming off the rope. Even though that's cool, but like you just had something that was better like right before it. Yeah, switch the spots around. I would yeah. have the razor's I've edge never for the seen finish. Him. Yeah. him sliding off the razor's edge, then switching the arms uh, for the backslide, then not getting it, then kicking the turnbuckle, flipping over and doing inside cradle. Like you don't need more than that. That right there is sufficient uh, to come to the ending. But Folks that need the Bret Hart praise, if I could go back to 93 and put myself in a 1993 context, it is fair to say that he is doing things differently than anybody in wrestling is doing them, especially anybody in the WWF. And yes, that right there, I think that anytime you want to talk about Bret Hart being the greatest or one of the greatest or getting everything he deserves, if you like focus your attention into the special, different, specific things he's doing often in his matches like, that's the best place to go to make your argument. Mm-hmm. I think Bret Hart, um, certainly one of his strengths is that you can go back and watch his matches and you can really notice how much effort he puts into making them uh, different. You know, he's got his uh, his five moves that he always does. He's got his certain strategies. But um, there, there's definitely a level of attention to detail, especially in the finishes, that you don't see with your, you know, Hulk up, big boot, leg drop types. So I definitely give credit to that. Yeah, and that's to me. That's where he gets his uh, most unique claim mm. to be the guy that is replacing Hulk Hogan because he is the guy that is the most different. Like even Randy Savage, you know, that elbow means a lot. Like that that top rope elbow is kind of the thing. And even though Bret Hart has the sharpshooter, like we're not going to see the sharpshooter. Uh, I don't know if we're even going to see it applied tonight. Yeah, definitely not winning any matches, I don't think. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's a great point. Like, who does that? Yeah, so, I think. <laughs> well, of course, you can't put the sharpshooter on anybody, so, you know, that's why. <laughs> that's true. Razor's got long legs, Batman's got big legs, and Mr. Perfect, he's just so slick, you know. He has perfect legs. You can't, you can't apply <laughs> it to perfect legs. You just can't. 
Yeah, old Stinger can put the Scorpion Deathlock on anything that moves, <laughs> but you know. I feel like Even Sting has kind of like a bullheaded uh, ignorance of who he should or shouldn't put that on, so it just works out for him. I always thought if Sting learned to sit down in that hold, like the whole world would be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with Bret Hart out here praising Sting, you'd think he would uh, at least have taught him when he went over to WCW how to put it on right, but <laughs> oh well, what can you do? This is the interesting thing about life, about personalities, about characters. I think anything that would make me hate Bret Hart, like, oh, he's so this and that by his statements, like, it's also why you would love Bret Hart. So, like, how do you separate them? Because I think there's a lot of people who would not have the guts, whether it's uh, SummerSlam 92, whether it's the Piper match, whether it's three matches on this night. Like, who's got the guts to come out here and win all these matches in such ways? Like, you know... No matter what, you want to be smart and you love wrestling, you love the craft. The fans are probably going to pop for you more if you just put these heels in the sharpshooter and make them give up. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, I don't know. Maybe he was overthinking it. Uh, there's an argument for that. But uh, I think if that was his strategy, then people would not be calling him timeless in 2021. So, I don't know if he was, like, forward thinking or he was just trying to be smarter or what. I don't know, but uh, I feel like it worked out for him in the end. Yeah, I think he's just got a confidence in what he does. And again, like I've always said, if I'm WWF, I, I always will consider putting the belt on him because I don't think anybody's going to take my title more seriously than Bret Hart. Right, right. Yeah, totally. So big win for Bret Hart. Really good matchup. And again, you know, great way to kick off King of the Ring, especially he's pissed off. So maybe he channeled that in a good way, you know. I guess that's something you could say. Maybe if it's Shawn Michaels, he would come out and just like screw the whole thing up, even though he's going to win it because he's mad because <laughs> he's not beating Hulk Hogan. But Bret Hart, you know, Bret Hart's pissed off in the back and raising hell back there, but he's coming out and applying himself and putting himself, you know, in the best matches he can that he can put on. Yeah, professional uh, as hell. I think uh, we talked about how Bret Hart is a pretty unshakable earth type, and that often uh, does benefit you because certainly I think if he like tank this night if he gave a bad performance who knows if he would even actually get back to that higher point so he's definitely playing to his strengths here that's another bias that i want to just check because i think as as someone who is more air and energy and all that mm. like i can sit there and watch bret hart do these things that he does all night long mm -hmm. and i can from my intellect talk about how great it is but from an energy level I might struggle because like my feel like my energy is opposite of what his energy and what he's doing, especially when we get to that inf that wonderful final matchup. Um, uh, but I think that I think it's harder. It blows my mind that I'm such a Bobby Roode fan, such a Nick Aldis fan because they're all Earth. Mm -hmm. But like I do think sometimes, like that's not gonna be my favorite thing. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy Brian Danielson more than CM Punk without making that choice. Like, I don't choose to like Brian Danielson more than CM Punk, but, like, the energy is just different for me. Not the fan response, because CM Punk fan responses are amazing, but there's something about the energy for me that's just different. Yeah, no, I, um, it's, uh, it's more about your felt sense, which we don't talk about as much as we used to, um, than kind of your intellectual sense. So, I understand it, um, and I think... If you're going to criticize Bret Hart, probably the most fair criticism you can give is that you will just usually not see 
you won't be swept away by Bret Hart the way you will by maybe kind of these more larger than life, like more flashy uh, type guys. So I don't know. Um, it's an interesting thing to think about, though. You would think that would make the Young Bucks my favorites. <laughs> well, this is why uh, we live in real life where things are not, uh, you know, either one or two. It's not a binary right. existence. There are levels and uh, layers and many other things. So Very fair. Oh, Lord, help us. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God, I did not realize we were in the thick of the, uh, Mr. Hughes stealing the urn from The Undertaker. We are, yeah. I don't know if this pays off at SummerSlam or if this just resolves itself on TV. But uh, we do see the clip. Mr. Hughes, this strange man who never bought wrestling gear in his life and uh, never took off his hat or his glasses. Why, my God, he's working for Harvey Whippleman and he stole The Undertaker's urn. So, I don't know, make of that what you will. But I believe he is the first guy to attempt this and definitely not the last. Yeah, it's wild. It's a big thing because... The hints have been there about the urn, but we're starting to it's starting to become an explicit player, I think, in in the angles now. Mm, for sure. What is it with Undertaker and like? I feel like he ends up like there are barely any managers left in this era, and any manager that's left, I feel like they have to go after the Undertaker because uh, we we've got Whippleman here, and we'll have like the Million Dollar Corporation later. And uh, I swear there are more. I was just thinking of them. But I don't know. It just feels like Undertaker will end up fighting not one guy, but like ten guys often in his career. I think partly that is when you give a guy nothing but monsters, there's probably going to be a a manager attached to the monster. (laughs) That's true, yes. I wonder... It's, I guess it sort of makes sense, but it's a little strange. They thought, like, well, we're going to have monsters, but basically only for just, like, this one guy. So, I don't know. Like, it'll be an interesting choice over the next several years. There was a long time in my childhood fandom where I felt like the WWF was one thing and The Undertaker was another thing. Mm. He's very much, to me, a special attraction on the show, but not necessarily always associated with the entire show. Would you, here, I'll put a challenge to you here, and you can answer with your, your kid brain or your adult brain, however you want. But uh, the question is, would you consider putting Mr. Undertaker in that championship role instead of Bret Hart? <sighs> Here's the thing. It's hard. All right, so to me, Lex Luger versus Yokozuna at SummerSlam, in the building is hot. The buy rate's not great, but in the building is hot. Yes. Bret Hart and Yoko, SummerSlam, or WrestleMania 10 in the building is hot. But, like, the hottest feud between SummerSlam and WrestleMania is Undertaker and Yokozuna, mm. by far. Like, the fans don't even care about Luger getting his shot at Survivor Series. They're all into the Undertaker. And, oh, my God, what was it? I can't remember now, but... Somewhere, I think, early in this year, maybe. Maybe I'm misremembering, but somewhere, either in this year or next year, but I'm thinking this year, Undertaker worked Yokozuna on a house show, mm. and I don't know if they sold out or something, but it did ridiculous numbers compared to anything else they were doing at the time. Mm, interesting. So it's not without merit. Um, the hardest thing to think about, I think, with, always with Undertaker, is before he solidified with his streak, Mm-hmm. which kind of just gives him longevity. Do you just say, forget everything and just push this guy? <laughs> you know, do you keep him in his lore building, you know, area? 
I don't know. Maybe you can do both. Maybe maybe yeah. that's too much. But uh, I just want to throw it out there. It's interesting. Um, maybe it's moot because uh, at the Rumble he will he will die and be gone for a while. Um, so maybe he wouldn't have been available regardless. But he's a guy you'd think he'd be right in the conversation. But like you said, it's like he's almost not in the company. Like he's doing something else somehow. He's not on this show, is he? Nope. So. Yeah, like, he's sort of, like, in his own little Undertaker universe somewhere, so it's just strange to think of. I think Bruce Pritchard has said that even though he beat Hogan for the belt, during this whole era, Vince McMahon did not see him as a world champion. Hmm. Well, that, so, and that bears kind of, out in reality, so, you know. It does, and that's what I was going to say. I think it does bear out. But I will tell you who would be a better world champion than Diesel, and that is Bret Hart, Lex Luger, The Undertaker, any of them. So, you know... <laughs> You can't really go wrong, and that's the whole point. Like, even we'll get to Luger, but Luger's getting a very good response by the end of that matchup. He is, yeah. So, like, I don't think anybody has a claim. Like, Bret Hart's only claim right now is that, you know, he did not look like he takes steroids, so they made him world champion. And, like, that's just an honest take at this time. Uh, In 94. We're going to meet another guy who has that take, and we're going to regret it, so. Yeah. In '94, though, if I'm if my money's on the line, I'm putting Bret Hart over Lex Luger. So like, I'm not being biased here, but like in '93, I don't see why Bret deserves it more than Luger, knowing Luger's potential. I don't know why he deserves it more than Undertaker, and that's not a knock on Bret because he might deserve it as much as him. But you know, it's just it's still wide open. I think we pretend like mm. Bret Hart took some kind of imaginary uh, banner at this point, but I don't think that he did in rewatching everything. Uh, Mr. Perfect could have, like, he'd been so popular, and, like, yeah. it's not going to do him any favors that he can't win this next matchup, but, you know, he's still, <laughs> he's been very popular, I feel like, the last six months, and I don't think he can take that away either. Yeah, I mean, it's it's less about Brett, I think, um, and more about, once again, we have to return to the booking. Like, nobody, certainly nobody feels inevitable at this point. Yeah. Like, all of them are, like, maybes. And you just got like a whole pack of maybes, and that's not the greatest place to be. This era is a big pack of maybes. <laughs> yes. So, Mr. Hughes, and it's interesting because I was like, what's going to happen? Because we just, to kick off Mr. Hughes and Perfect, we get a Undertaker Mr. Hughes video package. So, that's kind of how we go into this matchup. Uh, Bobby Heenan almost calls uh, Jim Ross Monsoon, and he uh, says, You're not Monsoon, but you look like him. That made me a little sad. Yeah, I feel like Keenan would rather be out here with Monsoon, you know, not not disliking Jr. or anything. I just think always in his life he would have rather been out there with Monsoon. So yeah, I don't know when Bobby Heen decided that he couldn't stay, but he's starting to feel like he's got one foot out the door at this yeah, point. It's got to be feeling that way. And so, <sighs> you know, they were just so good together, and Jim Ross. Especially at this time, all Jim Ross knows how to do is call the action. And the minute they start trying to do, like, personality stuff, he just, like, goes quiet. Like, he's not there. <laughs> is this, this is the night where he calls out Luger's uh, GPA, right? Yeah, he calls out, like, I don't know if this is Bruce Pritchard and Vincent Mann, because I know that they hate this thing. But the announcers, Savage goes quiet, and Bobby Heen grills him for, like, oh, uh, you know, every college that everybody goes to, they hated. WWF hated, like, well, Undertaker. I, I was, it was Undertaker, actually. At least according to Pritchard, which I, that's always a big maybe. But he says when they signed Jim Ross, Undertaker said, if he says what what college the Undertaker went to, I'm going to fucking kill him. <laughs> <laughs> I can believe that, honestly. Like, 
Jim Ross couldn't help himself at times. I just, I thought, yeah, it was hilarious that he busted out because that, like, like narcissist didn't go to a college. No. He went to like a Greek coliseum and was touched by the gods. So don't talk about his GPA. It's like it should yeah. be illegal. And then Bobby Heenan says, "Oh, what did what did IRS go to Wall Street something?" And then Jim Ross is like, "He went to Syracuse actually." <laughs> he's like IRS didn't go to Syracuse either. You know, it just didn't. Oh my God, Jim Ross is so wrong for this period. Like he'll be yes. a lot more right. When he puts on the hat, and he was a lot more right in WCW, and here he is like, I'm surprised they didn't not only fire him after the show, but like maybe actually kill him, like the Undertaker said for the for the yes. things he shouldn't have said. Because it, it's not right. Like as a child, I probably would have been pro Ross, but as an adult, I don't blame Jim Ross because I think that's all he knows how to do. But there's something beautiful about the fact that he, even though he gets fired, those are not beautiful the way they treat him. But like the fact that. Eventually, there will be an error and a compromise in a hat that will allow him to thrive in this company because I don't think I think I might would have quit my job before they fired me if I was Jim Ross, because you can feel how uncomfortable at times everything is. And it's all him. It's not Savage because Savage and Bobby Heenan like each other. I've never if you want to get drunk off your ass, like take shots every time that Bobby Heenan and Randy Savage say that they agree with each other on the show. Yes, they they have a very friendly night together. There's, um, there's only one reason for that, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I, in defense of Jim Ross, like I think uh, clearly it's not what they were going for, so why force that in the conversation? But honestly, I think they would have been smarter to go along with his way. Like your era already, like you kind of want to be larger than life, but you're not really doing it. Like you're not really living up to it. So why not say that these are like real humans? Uh, who also maybe kind of are larger than life at times. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't see the harm in it. Clearly, it's not what they wanted, but I don't know. I think they should have come a little closer to Jim Ross's type of thinking. It's another reason why Bret Hart is in some way a head scratcher for the guy to come after Hogan, because we, we've been making the case, oh, well, he's so different than Hogan. He's so practical. He's so real. But Vincent Mann's going to be like, well, let's leave behind that silly, you know, Hogan era and let's let's give everybody like a weird job. And like, so they're not they're still not going to real people. They're going to these weird like Mantar's on his way. He's around the corner. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I don't know. But, yeah, Jim Ross, like you said, it might be better, especially if you are going with Bret Hart, because Bret Hart would be the leader of an era where people would. Like just like going to college, like there's no different Bret Hart being in the dungeon and mentioning this, like his life was too hard and all of that every time he's out there. Right. Like I don't know why in this era of weird jobs, you know, your your normal Bret Hart guy is gonna be the the number one guy. I'll say I'm amazed that they never gave the hitman like a gun to walk to the ring with. Yes. To be like, Oh, you're the yeah. hitman, like you should be shooting people, so you know, I don't know. I'll just be glad that didn't happen. Well, maybe the rightful heir is Diesel because we'll, we'll get he'll get his name tonight, and it it really is like oh he's like a truck, you know he's like a truck, guys. Yes, you the know, lack that's... of uh, intelligence and thought behind that name was shocking even to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, he is to me felt sense wise. So this is not gonna make don't try to use your brains, folks, but approaching the Diesel reign is the closest thing I felt in a long time to approaching the Vince Russo WCW era. <laughs> so he is in some ways the own era Vince Russo for me right now. Oh, wow. That's, um, 
nothing nothing really compares to that that WCW Vince Russo era, I don't think. But as far as looking ahead to something that you know is going to be bad, that's going to be bad enough that the whole company is going to feel bad, I am with you there. It's going to be weird because we moved at that time. It's weird that up until about 1999, I felt like the entire world moved within my single wrestling narrative of the world. And now since then, nothing has ever moved with me again. But, like, we moved our house. So, like, we picked up our house and moved it from one city to another. And we couldn't move in, so we were in a transitional house. And the transitional house happened at the same time that Diesel happened and 94 happened. And we didn't have cable. We had, like, two channels where you had to, like, hold the antenna to see, like, half a screen. And, like, I have never known my whole life, and I will finally know, like, how much of what I looked at at the screen looked black and white and and faded because of the the screen and how much because of Diesel. (laughs) Like, I honest to God don't know that answer because Diesel brought in a black and white air, like legit, legit brought that. That was his colors, you know. And then my cape, my, my TV was black and white and, and snowy. So, you know, I don't know which one it was. And I will finally find out after all these years and in just a little bit of time. <laughs> uh, it'll be interesting to see how much color Diesel does suck out of the room because uh, that certainly seems like it's going to be his legacy here. It blew my mind. We got some stuff. We'll get to it. Old Diesel makes his debut, folks. So we're not right. <laughs> we're not out in the wild right now. We are actually on point. We are. A lot of denim from Mr. Diesel coming. Oh yeah. Okay, Mr. Hughes is gonna try to keep this push he's got going. He's got Mr. Perfect. Uh, I love that uh, running arm drag. Mr. Hughes is running and leaping and getting an arm drag put on him, and it's just a lovely thing. And then Perfect does that push off drop kick after it. Beautiful. I feel like Mr. Hughes has, like, a very negative reputation, but I don't really get that. Like, he's not the best I ever saw, but, uh, you know, he's a big guy. Uh, he's kind of interesting. So, like I said, he's always wearing, like, all this stuff you're not supposed to wear in wrestling. Um, and, uh, you know, he's always frowning. He looks uh, so mad. He's a big guy. He can move around all right. I don't know. I, I have a weird uh, appreciation for Mr. Hughes, at least as far as it goes. I've always thought he was solid. It's also... Yeah. But, you know, WWF just, just spent a year booking the NWA champion Ric Flair. Now that he's gone, they got the former champion Lex Luger and his bodyguard in main angles now. So that's also fun. Wait, who's Lex Luger's bodyguard? Mr. Hughes was Lex Luger's bodyguard for his what? entire world title reign. I forgot about that. You're right. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. They just need Harley to pop up, and they got the whole trio. The time is now. Yes. Oh, my God. They come in King of the Ring. He ought to... Have come in and beat up Jerry Lawler after Jerry Lawler beat up Bret Hart. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been something. I would have been happy about it. Bring Vader with you and change everything. So Have all those kings that never won King of the Ring all come out and just confuse the hell out of everybody. <laughs> Here's, I'm just going to ask this a second. I know it's 1993 and like nobody's really watching wrestling anymore anyway. But man, if you sat me down and you're like, oh, you can watch like Skeleton Hulk Hogan. And uh, this guy, Bret Hart, who never gets any good booking. Or you can switch over and watch Vader. Like, are you kidding me? Yes. <laughs> like, what's the what's the competition? Like, ask me a real question. So, I don't know. WCW, I think, is, like, running ahead, far ahead of the WWF at this time. I agree with you, and I agreed with you as a child. <laughs> but I will say, in defense of the other side, 
uh, they are getting ready to blow up that boat in the WCW. Oh, you're yeah. Well, okay, fair point. There's some silly stuff there, but still, like you're gonna get the dumb stuff anyway. So why not get past that and watch freaking Vader instead of whatever's going on over here? You know. So, oh no. man. They, we're going to see it when it, like, doesn't matter, but, like, 1993, Vader versus Yokozuna. Can you even think about that? Yeah. I As a kid in my personal fandom, Vader was, like, a million miles ahead of all these people, and it wasn't close. Yeah, for sure. Because I had watched Vader since 91, and, like, 92 and 93, like, not only being the, the, the man in WCW, but all that Japanese uh, former world champion heritage yeah. – like, he felt worldwide to me, and WWF felt regional. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, that helmet alone could, uh, like, jump ahead of the WWF at this point. <laughs> yeah, and then and then Sid came, and they became the masters of the power bomb. And Boy. then, what's his name? Is it 93? <laughs> uh, the old shock masters about to come through the wall as well. Yeah, you're right. So there's some dumb stuff happening. Man, this is why... <sighs> And I, I I feel like I'm sympathizing with, with, with Child Mystic, but uh, why, at a time like this, when the WWF is, like, weak and, like, kind of stupid and, like, they're having problems, why, oh, why did WCW try to follow them? Yes. <laughs> like, what a time to strike and, like, put on a great product, but instead it's like, oh, we should do, like, really dumb gimmicks, too. The Shockmaster is our biggest star now, so, Jesus. I may be wrong, but I think I heard that some of them videos, like that beach thing, may have been TBS people, but I may be wrong about that. Maybe. I don't know. You can't blame the Shockmaster for TBS, so. That Shockmaster thing, I actually watched that a few weeks ago, and it's kind of fun. Like, I like all the people breaking character. I don't use, I'm not usually a fan of that, but my God, that's. Here's, a, here, here's an argument you've never heard, folks, because this is what we give you on the show. Shockmaster coming through the wall and falling down was not nearly as bad as the promo that was going on before it happened. <laughs> wow. Uh, I can't remember that promo, but, you know, I believe you, honestly. So His flair is there, but Sting and Davy Boy are both trying to do the promo, and they're talking over each other. You can't understand either of them. And they, they I don't know if they're in a competition, if they're mad at each other, if they're just Sting and Davy Boy. But, like, there's a whole run where you don't know what's being said. It's like... You know, the whole thing is just out of control. And then, yeah, at least Shockmaster focuses everybody when he comes stumbling through the wall. I just got a twist in my gut when you said Sting and Davy Boy. We're yes. trying to kind of carry that promo segment. So, oh, yeah, bring on the Shockmaster, man. Yes. And I hate this because I agree. As a, as a kid, I love WCW through 93. So I agree with what you said. But I feel like everything I'm saying is undercutting that argument. <laughs> well, it's a fair – it's easy. It's easy with a little distance. To look back and just remember, like, the good parts of WCW, especially when you kind of want to. But um, it's fair to remember they are also, like, screwing up left and right, uh, if you know where to look. Yeah. It's also fair to say that in a world where there's going to be a fairly lackluster a Survivor Series, WCW will be getting ready to have the Flair Vader match. Man, I gotta watch that show again, I guess, because... I guess maybe I think I know what you're talking about, but all I can think of is, like, Undertaker and Yokozuna in that match and just, like, having a great time with that. Oh, that's hot. It's just, this is coming from a, in the WWF's mind, this is when they were put, this is when Lex Luger is getting his WrestleMania rebound, and the fans uh, could yeah. not have cared less about that. That's a fair point. Plus, you'll have uh, all these unknown hearts wrestling for, like, 40 minutes, so, like, yes. yeah. And is that, uh, 
Are there dinks and doinks and things, or is that that's a year later? I think or, that's '94, but I'm not. Yeah, okay. I think so because Lawler is not even there because he had his whole. Uh, he was having some problems at the yeah. time, so yeah. You're right. You're right. So you know, and it might it might be a decent event. I just as a Lex because this was one that. I think my older brother sat me down to watch it and was like, look at how, look at the responses that Hulk Hogan gets and look at Lex Luger's response at the end of Survivor Series. So Brother's kind was, of a dick. <laughs> I don't know, it's very personal for him. I don't understand because Hogan was over and Luger's, Luger flopped, so I don't understand why it was so personal. But it was. Right, yeah, like you already won. Well, that's a Hulkamaniac for you, so. <laughs> you could just yeah, that, be, yeah, you have to like Hogan steal wins. your gimmick and like mock it in the ring, so. <laughs> I, th- I think that right there is why Hulk Hogan wins because like <laughs> even if they're dead, you you beat them you beat them like they're not. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um. Anyway, perfect cues. Uh, to get back. Um, I think it's kind of a good match. It's not like amazing, but uh, this is the match where before the match, Mister Perfect will throw the towel behind his back and it will land on Mister Q's shoulder. Uh, so perfectly that it looks like it just was there the whole time. So mm. I'm gonna praise that towel for a second. Yes, that's beautiful, Mr. Perfect in the towel. Other than Bobby Heenan, that's one of the best managers you're gonna have right now. <laughs> Absolutely, that towel will do a lot for you. Um, so uh, what's the finish? Mr. Hughes just kind of like gives up and hits him with the urn, um, which I don't really understand in a setting like this. But you know, that, that's a heel for you, I suppose. Yeah. It was, it was what it was. You know, right. I think they were stuck. They they couldn't have a winner. And this is the problem with having a king of the ring when half the people in the tournament can't lose. <laughs> yeah, it really makes it difficult in this time. I will say this, though. I, I don't know if you'll agree. I suspect you will, but maybe not. I do think this is a much better one-night tournament than WrestleMania Four turned out to be. Yes, much better. Yeah. I'm, like I said, other than a couple of spots, a couple of matches I didn't enjoy, I, I can't say this is a damn good pay-per-view. And if they had not had the stupid uh, weekend wrestling challenge like box on the screen interviews and they actually had a like a, a board backstage and Gene Erkland standing there and things happening, man, I'd be I'd be making some wild arguments for this King of the Ring if they had just done <laughs> a little bit differently. Uh, it's totally fair. I was kind of looking up um... – you know, I, I often use uh, a certain website that kind of lets, um, you know, fans rank events and all sorts of things. I was just looking at WWF pay-per-views, and basically, this one has a high rating. Uh, WrestleMania 10 has a high rating. And then to get one as high as, like, that, you have to go out to, like, Survivor Series 96, where you got Bret and Austin. So we might be at kind of a high water mark right around here. That's a little scary with what we've been talking about. But uh, it is a very good show, I think. It is. And either we're at a high mark or, or you go to a site that loves Bret Hart. <laughs> I mean, I feel like most – Bret Hart is, like, extra popular right now, I feel. I don't yes. know if I've seen, like, as many pro-Bret Hart things as I have lately. So um, that that's kind of everywhere right now. Yeah, good for him. It's only going to rise more. But CM Punk, like, explicitly putting him over, like, he's about the – and that's the thing about AEW. They, they know how to be – just enough sincere, but I think also know which wave to hit and which not to. <laughs> and that's a good little mixture because WWF does not know how to do that. Indeed, yeah. I think it's inevitable. You have to be that way to some extent, so you might as well be good at it. So I'm with you. I I will say something real quick, and then we'll ju- we'll jump back in. I tried to watch some of this NXT 2.0 thing that's going okay. on. All right. Could, couldn't really sit there and watch it and enjoy it, but this I will. I am with Jim Cornette that if if Nothing happens if it all comes together. 
in three years, Braun Breaker will be main eventing any pay-per-view in WWF. Well, I hear good things. I haven't really watched him at all yet, but uh, I don't. you get a Steiner type, and he is a Steiner, even if they won't yeah. call him that for some reason. Like, he, yeah. Yeah, like, that, that, that really means something to me, because, like, I thought both the Steiners could have been world champions at different times. Scott was champion. It was kind of at the wrong time, but um, I don't know. If he's got that kind of ability... You bring that to the modern day when guys are not, you know, as muscular, when they're not as yeah. powerful, and he can kind of bring that something different. That's something special, I think. So I, I can see it on paper. I haven't really seen him yet, but I hear good things. The moves are not as refined yet, but it, it, he just picks you up seven different ways and throws you down six different ways. And uh, <laughs> he's got a good energy. Like There's something that reminds me of John Cena when John Cena was first starting out. Like He's got an easy personality. Uh, like I said, I think the one thing that could hurt him is if he gets so big that fans turn on him fast. But like, if they let him play out naturally and not, and there's nothing that I'm not seeing because I've only watched him like twice. Like he he seems like he came out of that era of like John Cena, Batista type guys, Randy Orton. I guess when they were just popping off all these guys that would dominate like ten years of the business. <laughs> and then like you're putting him next to uh, some of these other guys who. I was watching with L- he beat L.A. Knight I think in his debut and that was that was weird too because the first match I watched had L.A. Knight in it and it had uh, what's his name in the booth from the N.W.A. Wade Barrett sure yeah so that was that hurt me a little bit but could not watch NXT there was some ridiculous stuff going on it is like I always say like a little older than Nick Jr. but is there something under Nick Jr. <laughs> that would be like <laughs> Because they had some, they had some stupid stuff going on. That's not for me. It's might be for others, and that's cool. And I'm glad it is because I want people to watch stuff. But mm. it wasn't my. But that Braun Breaker. Hopefully, he gets a new name like uh, with Steiner in it eventually. Um, <laughs> but like, I'm not gonna be one that's gonna sit and talk about that all day. Like, let that man have a run and don't ruin it for him because he's got he's got some it factor at least off the off the bat. It seems. Mm. I guess the. Uh advantage if you want to call it that to now nxt kind of being run just like the main roster is at least now when they bring people up they won't kind of like throw them under the bus immediately so yeah i don't know maybe maybe he will survive the system and uh, become successful but uh, i don't know i wouldn't wouldn't put money on it but it's possible i, I wish him the best of luck yeah good points good points around randy savage makes a really good point when he says mr perfect better forget the chops because Mr. Hughes is wearing a shirt, and that's going to take the sting out of them. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Hughes gets to wear a lot of gear that uh, I don't know if it's, like, referee approved, but, um, <laughs> you know, so here we are. That's a kind of badass, though, the man. Like, like, it seems like all of it almost is a disadvantage to him, and he still does it. And it's like, you know, that's <laughs> like, uh, there's something going on there. Like, uh, that's psychology, something. I don't know what it is, but something's there. He certainly comes off as a guy who, like, refuses to listen to uh, any advice. Like, probably his wrestling trainer was like, hey, man, maybe you should, like, take off your sunglasses. He just frowned and just didn't say anything and never took them off, so. Yep, and if you're in the king of the ring, maybe don't get disqualified on purpose. (laughs) You're not going to tell Mr. Hughes how to be, so, you know, that's what he does. Maybe he doesn't want to be king of the ring. (laughs) (laughs) He's already got a title, Mr., so he doesn't have to be king, so. Yes. (laughs) Okay, so we got that one perfect. It's going to skate by on that disqualification. We're going to go to pre-recorded comments. Gene Erklund is with Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji. 
<laughs> Okerlund uh, scolds Fuji and Yokozuna about the time they fought Hogan, and it was disastrous for them. So Okerlund, on his last night of uh, Hulkamania in the WWF, and soon he's going to have to run off to another company so he can continue being a Hulkamaniac. Yeah, there's there are some moments in the show where I'm like, am I watching WWF or WCW 94? <laughs> Where's Fifi um, to, uh, you know, like canoodle with Okerlund here? Yes, he will do that in six months' time. So Yeah, less. So <laughs> Less. Uh, the cheated, stole the belt, blah, blah, blah. Yokozuna speaks English here, which is fun and then interesting to the whole dynamic. That, so. Yeah, that was unexpected. Um, also, uh, Fuji says that Brett... And Yokozuna wrestled uh, more than 20 minutes at WrestleMania, which that man. is not remotely true. So. That man's a maniac. Like, <laughs> I have never seen anyone in the history of this series so far who's more just out of control than Mr. Fuji. <laughs> he can't be stopped. Any prop he thinks of, any lie he wants to tell, like he's far beyond the antics of his other managers. This is a man who betrayed the tag team champions to go work with the not tag team champions. <laughs> and a man who won the WWF title at WrestleMania when a heel had never done it and then gave it away. You just <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get with this man. And, again, maybe it makes him dangerous, but, like, Lord have mercy. Dangerous to himself, I think. So. Yeah, and to his poor clients. He's also then I think there was a promo a long time ago where he let us know that he does not have his client's best interest, but I can't remember if that's so or not. I think with Demolition, he's like, oh, we'll torture them and just, yeah. you know, like, I, I'll i just, you know, be a jerk to them. So, okay, yeah. good. He, he told us. Yeah, this is a time where you could also work with Bobby Heenan, so uh, <laughs> Fuji is living dangerously with some of his commentary. Oh, uh, he is. He is. I'll just say this. Uh, this whole promo, like, half of it is like, oh, we're going to kill America, and... I'm just sitting here like, my God, these people, they truly learn nothing. Like, it's impossible for them to learn anything because they did they did all this with Slaughter and it failed. Like, it was so it bombed and they couldn't even uh, run in the arena that they wanted to because they didn't have enough people. So why would you turn around and be like, let's threaten America again? Like, immediately. Like, it's just baffling to me. Yeah, this is an era where Bill Clinton has defeated George Bush like we're moving into a different time in the 90s, and it's not this. And so this also needs to go on the list. I don't have a pen with me, but this never gets talked about when the slaughter thing already failed and there is no heat for Yokozuna or Japan to be going at America. That This is not. This never is even considered in the, why weren't the fans hot for Lex Luger defeating Yokozuna? Because we're not at war with Japan, and we don't want to hate Japan, and we, we love our Japanese fandom most of how many wrestling fans are also fans of something else that comes out of Japan. And right. like, yeah, you know, it makes no sense whatsoever. There's no heat. There's no legitimacy. And it's not working with yoke. It's not working with Hogan. It didn't work with Hacksaw, but like we're supposed to get super hot when the narcissist is now like doing it. <laughs> it's baffling how hard they will go in on this. And props to Yokozuna. Cause I think any, any amount of over that he is, and he's fairly over, is mostly just due to his own talent and not this crap booking yes. that they gave him. So, I am, as we all know who listen, I if there's a if there's a narrative about it, I usually go against it. So like, there's part of me that would want to say like, oh, because like now we say like, oh, oh, that was horrible. But like when I'm watching Yoko with the belt later, if they would just stop with the stupid crap about hating America, like. 
I wanted to celebrate with Yokozuna. <laughs> like, oh, absolutely. A kingdom as an adult, like all those camera people from from your country are there. Like it felt like, oh my god, something real just happened. Like I didn't feel that way when Bret Hart won it. I didn't feel that way when Hogan won it. But like they started making me feel like Yokozuna had done something really special. <laughs> Yokozuna is very special, and uh, I will continue to praise him for as long as he is. Uh, Worthy of being praised, which I think will be a long time. We'll see. But uh, and then what? The American hero, I guess, Bret Hart will finally get the job done. So <laughs> yeah, I guess America loses this feud. Like they yes. will never recover. <laughs> from Don't turn on your TV in '97 if you think Bret Hart saved America. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wild. I didn't even make that connection. But yeah, like Jim Duggan and. Uh, Hulk Hogan and all these guys will try America first before Lex Luger against this same guy, and it will never yep. really like be popular. And then they'll just give it to him and be like, "Well, make it work." So that's so absurd. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you would think when they're saying like he got the greatest push ever because he had a bus, that they would also talk about the context of the country and the uh, company. You know. Yeah. So like, if it was working. It, this, this is the bottom line. If it was working, Hulk Hogan would have canceled Thunder in Paradise or whatever he was doing next and stayed with it because he would have been making money off of it. He would not walk away from that. But when Hulk Hogan says, like, leg drop me and take me out of here, like, the thing's not working. <laughs> My only counter to that is I don't think uh, Hogan would have stayed in wrestling for anything. I think he really wanted to make it happen in Hollywood. But um, mm, I think there's heart. something. Yeah, he would have been a little more reluctant at least. If he did think something was working, was making money here. Yeah, and it's not. I will get to that match, but my lord. The only <laughs> thing good about it is Yokozuna. Indeed, indeed. Right now we got Bam Bam Bigelow versus, versus Hacksaw. And I don't know how, because I watched wrestling at this time, and I have a Hasbro figure with Hacksaw in that stupid outfit. But somehow in my mind, I never knew he wore that, or I forgot or something. Eh, well... It's easy to not, forget about Duggan, or maybe it's just uh, preferred to forget about Duggan. So. I'm just not liking it. Like, I already didn't like him, but this, like, 2.0 hacksaw is also not working for me. No, when did Duggan ever work for anybody? Like, yeah. maybe in his territory days. I hear good things. I haven't really seen it. But uh, ever since he came to WWF, he's been a thorn in our side. For some reason, he's a guy who, like, can't be thrown out with all the other guys from that era. Like, we can't have Tito, we can't have Rick Martel, we can't have, like, Greg Valentine, who's yes. been in the trash for all these years. Jim Duggan, though, my God, let's keep bringing him out here for as long as he's breathing air, so I don't get it. Yeah, I, I think I also thought as a child that Yokozuna ended Hacksaw's career, but he's, like, back two weeks later and doing this stuff again. <laughs> yeah, despite his vignettes with his wife like crying about it and then he just came back and like he doesn't even fight Yokozuna again not that I wanted him to but like I just he just gave up on America he just decided to go somewhere else and still be an American so the best thing about this match is Jim Ross says he'll never quit and Bobby Hinn says he's known as a quitter in Glens Falls <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't realize that like man well. <laughs> Jim I'll Ross go ahead <laughs> yeah, Jim Ross will retort with uh I don't believe that for a second. I mean, you know, I just that's just what I heard. Jim Ross yes. said, "Well, you hear a lot of things that you make up." 
Yeah, general. The only times generals went at him is just like he just completely pulled the curtain back because he didn't. He just did not. I know, and I get it. Like I hate small talk, and I can banter with people that I like. But if you put me with two random people and they got their own chemistry, like I think I would end up like Jim Ross too. <laughs> easy, easy for that to happen. I think it's very believable though that somebody who's not even liked or respected in his own hometown then runs around this country as a hero for all these years. Like, I wish I had known that years ago. I think Bobby Heen should have outed him in the 80s. He should have done it. When uh, when he hit Andre with that board, he should have told everyone who he was. But, uh, oh, well. If you watch, if you listen to this show, then you know that these two will, like, stand in their corners and run into each other. <laughs> this match stinks. I just got to say this. Like, if you want your guy to look like garbage, then make him wrestle Jim Duggan because it'll be a bad match and Jim Duggan will like barely sell. And he'll just like run over him at times. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know why Jim Duggan's allowed to, uh, behave this way, why they give him the license to do this, but I don't know. Bigelow will, he'll win this match by pinfall. And that was the most shocking thing of the whole night by far is that I actually saw Jim Duggan get pinned. Cause normally that will never happen. So, you know, up to that point, he, this is a bad match. This is the worst match of the night by a long ways, in my opinion. Yeah, this is not good. I think Bigelow had to win because from here on out, we're going to start the narrative that if Bigelow can't beat Bret Hart, then, man, there's something wrong with that guy. <laughs> so, you got to give <laughs> him something. Much. Oh, my gosh. That's why I'm like, I don't see Jim Duggan lose by pin hardly ever because if he's losing, he'll just take his board and get DQ'd. You know, that's like his whole gimmick. So I was just surprised. <laughs> Yeah, I think he's on his way out, and he's saving some energy for Steve Austin. <laughs> I want to see, and by want to see, I mean I don't want to see, but I'm curious <laughs> how long he'll be around, because that's 94, and that's early in his run. I don't know if we're going to be plagued with this guy for like another year or not. I hope not, but uh, we'll see. No, I don't think we'll see much of him. I'll put it this way. Lex Luger is, I think Lex Luger's team at Survivor Series is called the All-Americans and Hacksaw's not on it. That is comforting. Thank you for that. That's a good that team. Means... I think about that team sometimes. Luger, yeah, that's really Undertaker, nice. Undertaker and the Steiners. Jesus, you could run a whole promotion with those four. Yeah. And the WCW had, like, did well with three out of four of them, so that's yeah, nice. Yeah. I was say, thank God Tatanka got pulled out of that match. Yes. The greatest thing that could have ever happened. Yes. I think some people still get mad because the Undertaker opens up his coat and has that flag on the inside, but my lord. <laughs> well, what he's going to be the American badass. He's just, uh, you know, remembering his life when he was alive. He's fine. <laughs> That's so awesome. He's having a flash of the, because he's standing next to three NWA guys. <laughs> yes. Oh, Usually man. I would be the biggest fan in the world if I turned on a show and there were unexpected Coliseum home video interviews, mm -hmm. but... Terry Taylor is doing them. Yeah. This fellow is very low energy. He needs to really, really step it up a little bit because I did not enjoy any of these. And I usually, this would be everything for me, but who is he with this first time? That's true. Mr. Taylor. Uh, the Steiners and the guns. He's talking to all of them. So, uh, yeah, I thought so. But that's too early in my mind, but you got the Steiners and the guns. That's so intriguing because the guns are talking about their finisher. Uh, could beat anybody in the WWF, and I just wanted to see Scott Steiner's face full on while they were saying that. <laughs> I mean, they have an amazing finisher. I'll say that, but they um, do. I also think they will never hit it on anyone besides a jobber. So, you 
That's a good question, do they? Oh, my. Like, if I were a, a full-on talent, I don't know if I'd take it, because that move is crazy. It's like a backdrop right into a pile driver. That's a good way to, like, break your neck, I think, so I'm not yeah. going to mess with that. They barely got that 160-pounder on Raw, too, so <laughs> if I'm the head shrinkers, I'm definitely saying no. Oh, uh, it's weird. Like, I don't know why the guns use this. Like, uh, a much bigger team should use this that could actually, like, hold people. Like, I'd be a little afraid if the guns did it. Like, they're big, but just, like, I wouldn't take it. I'd be afraid. Braun Breaker could do it, but it, it turned into a power bomb or a suplex or throw him over the head. There ain't no telling with that young man. Oh, I'd say I love Steiners because I love just, like, practical power guys. Like, I'm not a body guy. I don't really care how you look that much. But if you can show me that you're, like, stupid strong, that I'll probably yeah. be a fan of you no matter what. And you can tell they're just born that way now that, now that we're going second generation. Like, they just oh. – I don't know if he looks like Rick or looks like Scott, but, you know, it's the same <laughs> thing where – People are saying he, he looks like they got, like, mixed together somehow. So. Yeah. <laughs> it is – it's interesting – uh, yeah, the guns and the Steiners, I thought they were going to, like, roll on the floor for a little bit and brawl before their matchup, especially being Coliseum home video. Oh, One man. never knows. I thought you were going to say they're going to roll around like dogs because of Rick Steiner and just, uh, <laughs> in this Steiner era, I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> I, I feel like he was never in WWF. Like, I start, I don't know if it's my hearing the backstage, like, interest in Scott, but now it just feels like, Rick really feels like he's kind of an afterthought these days. Well... Didn't he kind of always feel like that after, like, 91? I don't know. Yeah. To me, like, it was all about Scott after that, so. I want to go back and watch some Varsity Club and Rick Steiner one day. Sure, yeah. Like, uh, we, there's a lot of stuff we could watch from that era that we did not, so I would be very curious one day to check that out. Isn't it funny that WWF always books better than WCW, but we got IRS in the company, we got the Steiners, but I want to go see that again. So something's wrong with me. <laughs> Here, Maybe but. you're just a huge Kevin Sullivan fan. I don't know. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to hear this, but when I was watching uh, Brian Danielson, I was like, this guy has a little bit of Kevin Sullivan in him. I'm all about that. I, I'm a fan of Kevin What Kevin Sullivan, like, this guy's not that athletic. You know, he, he's got his points against him. He's, like, short and all this stuff. But, God, when he hit you, you stayed hit. I'll just say that. Like, when he double stomped you, I was like, man, that guy, like, the toothpaste is going to come out the top. When he stomps mm. on you. So, like, he was a very serious man in the ring. I, I'm always a fan of Kevin Sullivan. It's funny because if, if I'm if i charting out AEW, I think, because CM Punk's being so nice, <laughs> like, one day one day he'll have that big eruption of personality mm-hmm. and go a different way. But I think there is something very devious, just naturally devious in this Daniel, Brian Danielson that if it ever gets out of control – it, the, even it's gonna be like I think there's something that is Steve Austin like, and I don't mean like charisma and all that or character, but I think there's something in that man that if it ever got out, the Bookers would not be able to contain it. It would just go, it would go crazy. Steve I think Austin, they need to be uh, careful. Yeah, he was very cunning, which is something we don't talk about maybe yes. a lot, but uh, I feel like it's that's the similarity I get with uh, yes. Danielson. They're cunning and a little bit mean in the same way. Yes. I saw it in the ring, like, he's low to the ground like Sullivan, and he just bent down and got this grin on his face that I think I've only seen with Kevin Sullivan, and he's not above hanging someone upside down and doing all that stuff. Like, there's something, I don't believe him. It's weird because <laughs> when CM Punk is saying nice things, I know there is an egomaniac in, inside of CM Punk, 
But I still – right now I partially believe him. And so I don't believe Daniel Bryanson. And, like, it's not that I think he's fake, but, my God, I think even the man himself knows, like, if, if he let loose what, whatever is inside of him. I don't know if there would be other wrestlers left. I don't I don't want to see what would happen, but I think, you know, it would be a tragedy. So I think keep it in check. Keep, like, eating healthy and, like, you know, doing your thing. But, like, look at his grin and his eyes at times. And the fact that, you know, some people halfway think the man's going to die and that, like, he's, like – I just want to come here and see someone throw me off the top of the building just to see what happens. You know, <laughs> that's the man you got to look out for, in my opinion, folks. Oh, he is a wild person. There's nobody <laughs> quite like him. Um, I'll say this: uh, out of K Fob, and uh, at the moment, inside it, I think uh, Danielson is about one of the nicest people around. But just, just look at his face when he's hurting somebody, when he's making them suffer, when he thinks of some new way to, like, twist up a guy. Look yes. at his face. Look at that grin. That's exactly what you're talking about. And just think for a second, this is not totally a nice guy. There's something in this guy that could really, uh, like you said, it could really run wild around a lot of people if we're not careful. Yeah, I don't think he would mean it in a mean way. <laughs> That's the yeah. thing. Like, to him, it's fun. I think if you do it back to him, it'll still be fun. So. Yes. Like, he's just a scary guy. He's like, yeah, like, let's do a fun thing and, like, torture each other, so. I promise you, if we found out today that he was raised by wolves and he never met a human being till he, <laughs> like, it wouldn't shock me. I wouldn't say anything. I'd be like, yep, yes, that checks out. <laughs> I can see it. Some kind of animal that likes to uh, manipulate um, the digits of others. I don't yeah, know. maybe Sullivan. He'd been raised by Sullivan, I would believe that, yeah, in his little satanic temple, so. The only reason he booked wrestling was because he had to keep, like, the little tree, like, you know, he had to bring food to Daniel Bryan in the tree. <laughs> oh, I'm all about this, I love it. This is why, though, if they do this thing right, and we'll get we'll get back, Narcissist is on deck, but we will get to that, but, like, if they did it right, CM Punk is the opposite of that. I think CM Punk knows seven different ways people are going to react to however whatever he does and he thinks about it all before he does anything yeah and i think they're so opposite that if they find each other at the right time they're gonna do something that you've not seen in a long long time in wrestling i was just seeing a, a quote someone put up from uh danielson's book that he wrote when he was uh, i think when he was still retired um for that period or he wrote about how he regretted that he would not get to wrestle CM Punk again. And mm -hmm. hey, guess what? Now, I mean, if it doesn't happen eventually, I'll be shocked. So I, I really can't wait for that match. That's going to be something special, I think. It will. I, I, I did smirk at this whole thing, wrote, wrote a book thing, but that's nice. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> that happens. Smirk at people writing a book. It's, it's, it's fun to read wrestling yeah. books sometimes. So. That man that man didn't write, though. And that's not, it's not it's okay. okay. Like, I would give up my writing and reading ability if I could live in a tree and then come out as Daniel Bryan's. So, what a what a wild man! Okay, oh, what a couple of special talents. All right, yeah, we gotta talk about King of the Ring. So, yeah, Tatanka, the undefeated Tatanka versus the. This is if I'm booking a company and I'm about to have the undefeated Tatanka versus the undefeated Narcissist, and I'm gonna screw the fans. I don't have people talking about oh well, something's got to give in this matchup because no, it doesn't have to give. I, why would you book this? Like, yes. I don't know. It's so strange. Like, 
both of these undefeated streaks, I'm sorry, they're both worthless. So why are you going to such lengths to protect them? Neither one of these streaks mean anything. I don't. Here's the thing I'm wondering. Does Vince McMahon already know that he's turning Lex Luger? Mm, it's a good question. I don't really get that vibe, but I wouldn't say no either. So I'm not sure. It's just a strange night to me because why not? We'll, we'll get into it because some interesting things happen. Uh, he should have known after this match, I'll say, because when they hit that time limit, Luger will ask for five more minutes in the crowd. I think we'll have like their biggest pop of the night for yeah. some reason. Not that I wanted this match to continue, but my God, they really popped for that. They did. Because that, that Luger energy, man, that's why I tell you he's better yeah. as a baby face. Cause yeah. That energy does something, and it's weird to have the heel demand the five minutes is also what I would say. <laughs> right. That's what makes me think maybe they did think they were going to turn him, but uh, I don't know. It's very strange. And then um, the other thing is whether Bret Hart wins this thing or Mr. Perfect wins this thing, both of them have heat with Lex Luger. Yeah, true, true. So I don't understand why you wouldn't use Luger for one of those matches at one point in the tournament. I just don't really understand why what we're doing here with Lex Luger and Tatanka. Yeah. I'll say this. I um, I don't hate the last match like I think you do, but uh, I think the match we saw between Luger and Brett on that kind of special release, I think that was clearly better. Um, so, yeah, why not do that match again? You, can, you know what? I you might get mad, but you can even have Brett just beat Lex Luger in the final. And break That's what I'm saying. Up. I wouldn't have Luger win this, but I would have him lose to someone that, like, perfect or Brett. Right, right. Like, have him lose. Like, why not? It's, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's silly. Because both of them, like I said, with if Perfect beat Bret Hart, you got that blow-off. If Mr. Perfect beats Lex Luger, they're now one-to-one. You know, if Bret Hart beats Lex Luger, it's a hell of a lot more than uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. And also, the narcissist is a better character to get the first-round win and then sit out a bye because that's what he's all about. Right. Absolutely. I'll say this too. If they were going to keep him heel, I almost maybe would say let him win King of the Ring because then maybe he can bring out those uh, WrestleMania people with their shields again and they can, uh, you know, that could just be his thing now. Yes. That is one thing that I will say honestly, and I did not book Luger to win this. I think I'd book perfect if Brett doesn't win it. But if you're going to keep him heel, the narcissist and the King of the Ring and that attire and, and like you said, and then all of that pomp, like, Bring that stuff back. Yeah. You know, because you want you, you would have your top heel in the company if you let him just full on behave like that and win, but we're so fast to put a elbow pad and we're so fast to <laughs> to do all these other things, you know. But yeah, this is what I'm saying though, again, Bret Hart is just as good a choice as anybody, but he's no better than anybody. Yeah. So there are a lot there are a lot of people who could have been the person at this time. I see. He, he's, he's in the pack, but I don't know if he's at the head of the pack. Yeah, like the pack is very closely together right now. So I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, the pack, they're all touching shoulders to me at this point. <laughs> For sure. Okay, so there's a couple of things that I've got to say because I got a feeling I like this match a little better than you, and I'm okay with that. But I went into thinking this will be the worst match I've ever seen because <laughs> a man named Bruce Pritchard. This is how you bury a talent, and this is also, you probably hear this again in the Luger episode, because this is how a man doesn't win the world title when he's supposed to. So, <laughs> Bruce Pritchard has, like, because Dave Meltzer gave us a two-point-something, and Bruce Pritchard was like, this is so much worse because of Lex Luger, and um, 
the things that he said, there's two points that he made. This is, folks, this, if you ever want to destroy somebody and you have a little bit of power, this is how you do it. Oh boy. So, um, first of all, Luger is so stupid that he attacked Tatanka while Tatanka had the, um, what is it that Tatanka carries the ringside? The, what, the oh, tomahawk? God, tomahawk. Yeah. yeah. Like, why would a man attack a man with a tomahawk? It's just so stupid. He doesn't think about anything. But number one, why do we have a company where you make a man wear an elbow pad, but another man can carry a tomahawk to ringside? <laughs> one could say. Yeah. And then another thing, Luger attacks him as he's rolling in. So, like, if a man is rolling in with a tomahawk, why don't you attack him when he's rolling in and get that tomahawk out of his hand? So that didn't turn out the way Bruce Pritchard explained it. Then he's like, Lex Luger like infuriated me because we gave him the pad and the pad is for his forearm and he would wear it over his elbow. Can't you just wear it where and like the thing has to the thing's gigantic is over his elbow and it's over his forearm. Mm. So like these things are not real things. But the kind of person that's bringing up those things is the same person that goes to Vincent Mann and says he's not doing the Lex Express thing right. He's not doing this right. You can't work with him. And it's all bullshit when you look at the screen. So that right there, folks, is one way that you bury somebody who otherwise is going to win the world title. What idiotic complaints. Who? Why do people listen to this guy? Like, I don't understand. He doesn't seem pleasant. He seems like he's just lying or just making up stupid comments like more than half the time. I don't, I don't know how people stand it. I'll just say this. Uh, maybe don't give him an elbow pad. If you don't want to wear an elbow pad, you right. freaking moron. It's an elbow pad. Like, that's yeah. obviously what it is. So I don't even know what to say about that stupidity. Thank you so much. Because it's a whole different thing that you wear. Yeah. Like, if he wore it off his elbow, it would be on his wrist and it would come down over his hand. <laughs> Like it's an elbow. It's an elbow pad. Thank you. Thank, thank you. There we go. It's an elbow oh, pad. Absurd. I'd say if you want to ignore these stupid comments and look at how good Lex Luger is, look at what a great job he does selling how mad he is about having to wear this pad. Yes. Like that's a whole thing in itself. I would show that to other heels to be like, when you get the disadvantage, you should act like this because Luger is so good at it. Yes, and right before that, he's leaning over the rope to the camera and just flexing his forearm where that where the steel plate is. <laughs> yep. And then the, the the call comes in like over his shoulder, and then he kind of goes off. Yep. Yep. Oh man. That's a very nice moment. And then he gets the mirror put on him because Tatanka. I love Bobby Heenan says if he's got to wear wear an elbow pad, why don't you tie Tatanka's shoes together so he can't dance? <laughs> That's beautiful. I love that. I'd say I like the bit with the mirror where he threw the mirror at him. That was probably one of the best things I've seen Tatanka do, so I'll give him credit for that. Yeah, Luger gets buried under his gimmick. The match that they don't need 15 minutes together, you know, that's, that's, that's for sure. Yeah, so I, I guess I overstated, like, kind of looking over my notes. I didn't think this match was so bad. It's not great. It's not that good. It's like, it's all right. You know, it's better than you would expect, I would think. But um, I think it's against my alignment to actually want to see five more minutes to make a 20-minute Tatanka match. I don't I don't think I can go along with that. Yeah. Just like Razor Ramon, like, Luger gets a big pop when he clotheslines Tatanka. So maybe they just like clotheslines or they, or they have good opinions. I don't know which one. Maybe they don't like but, Tatanka because why would you? Yeah. So they have a, they have their exchanges. I do like at eleven minutes 
Tatanka gets a big run where he hits all his stuff and almost wins, and then it flips, and Luger hits all his stuff, and they both have that power slam, so Luger again. WWF guys should not slam with NWA guys is still my uh, motto here. <laughs> I think very few people should try to slam with Lex Luger, no matter where you come from. So Preach. Okay, Luger almost wins it, but he can't. And then he grabs the mic, folks, and this is not, this is not, it's not, uh, we're not playing here. Lex Luger turns the crowd. He wants five minutes. And we, we know the fans don't necessarily want five more minutes of the match, so I think they just, they just want an excuse to cheer Lex Luger, and by God, they cheer Lex Luger. I'm not kidding when I say it's a, one of the biggest pops of the night. Maybe, is it the biggest pop? I don't know. Like, that'd be weird if it was, but maybe it is. It's in there. It's a fiery pop. Yeah, like people people want to see the five more minutes, and like you said, I can't imagine they were just so eager for this match to continue, so maybe they really wanted him to win. I don't know. My favorite thing about the narcissist, too, is like when he just decides it's time to knock somebody out. <laughs> you know, Tatanka does not want the five minutes. He just acts like he doesn't even know what's going on, so Luger just is like, pull down the elbow pad, and then, well, he shouldn't have had to. Why did he even take it off? Because it wasn't covering his forearm, but that's a mystery, but Luger takes off the pad. And then he knocks Tatanka out. Uh, the fans are still with him, I think, pretty much. And then that's the end of Tatanka. That's the end of Lex Luger. And that creates the, the, the kind of narrative for the rest of the show that you can look at it one of two ways. If Bret Hart wins, man, what an Iron Man. And if, Bret, if Bam Bam Bigelow can't win, that's the most, like, that's the most <laughs> illegitimate wrestler I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely embarrassing. I just want to shout out, I think we are exactly three weeks away from the USS Intrepid, so think about that for a moment. That is big. And the other two things about that, Randy Savage praises Lex Luger for the first time. He says, mm. um, so that's interesting to me. And then... Maybe they did know, yeah. The one narrative that comes out of this is not Yoko beat like Hulk Hogan. It's that Hulk Hogan can't slam Yokozuna. <laughs> yeah, and look who can, so... Imagine that. So we are going somewhere. I don't know if we know Luger yet, or maybe we do, maybe we don't, but some, we're going somewhere. And Vincent Mann, obviously, I think he knows that Hogan's going away, so there, there's something. Something is stirring uh, at this time. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Gene, Gene Oakland, were you going to say something? Nope, no, go ahead. All right, Gene Oakland's with Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect in the back. So these are, you know these, if you watch Roddy Piper and Bret Hart, you know these promos. Uh, it's a good one. Um, Dean Oakland's, uh, <laughs> so Dean Oakland's earlier, Mr. Perfect was on screen during the matches they've been doing. And he said that if he had to choose between the power, this is Jim Ross said the power or the, um, the whatever Bret Hart is mm-hmm. and perfect would rather wrestle Bret Hart. And Gene Oakland says earlier, you said, you know, <laughs> between the two of them, you'd rather wrestle, uh, you'd rather wrestle Bret Hart. Or, uh, uh it's something like, yeah, Oakland really twists this around because um, he basically makes out that uh, Bret Hart thought Mr. Perfect would be uh, an easy opponent. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, Bret it's Hart the other way around. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah like, he really twists the hell out of this to make them uh, be in conflict here. And Mr. Perfect is not the man that you belittle to Mr. Perfect's face. We, we learned that on the prime time that we covered. Indeed, he will blow up his whole life if you uh, – Push the wrong buttons, so. Yeah. And then when they get mad about it, Jane Oakland says, guys, please. <laughs> this is peak Okerlund right here. Like, this is what he was better at than anyone I've ever seen. So I got to give him credit for that. Um, I like, they talk, again, they talk about something which I think should have been illegal. They talk about SummerSlam two years ago. 
which uh, I think happened in another dimension, but they're going to argue about that. And, uh, you know, who won that match and uh, why. So that was a nice touch. Yeah. Other dimensions. They get into an argument about your dad didn't beat my dad. (laughs) Uh, That was a little cringy, but uh, I got what they were going for. So, yeah. So, again, though, I thought it was very Piper uh, Brett-esque in that it becomes it's weird because. Brett beat Mr. Perfect, but yet we are, and Brett's a former world champion, but the kind of flavor, like, Brett Hart gets really tiny in this. Like, he kind of shrinks, mm. and all of a sudden, Mr. Perfect's, like, six inches taller than him, even though he's not really, and it's, again, like, oh, my goodness. You know, can Brett Hart get past Mr. Perfect? But, my God, he already did, so. Right. <laughs> and he's a former world champion, and Mr. Perfect's not. And Mr. Perfect, we know now, worked uh, Scott Hall up in a bar, you know, by telling Brett Hart that, you know, if I didn't get injured, you would never have got the spot that you're in because that's my world title run. That's my spot. So, mm. you know, I think it is a little personal, and I think that's going to lend itself to the wonderful match that we're going to see. I mean, these two had amazing chemistry. Uh, I don't know too much about their real-life interactions, but I have to think that they um, – I feel like everything we're seeing is probably some element of reality. They seem like the types that would compete against each other because they are similar. They have similar backgrounds. I was say I was surprised as well that Mr. Perfect was allowed to have a father, um, mm. but uh, <laughs> I think Bret Hart's the only one legally who's allowed to. But uh, they threw that in there. I don't know. Yeah. I I love this match coming up. I think uh, it's a classic, and I'm I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, this is a competition in the very best word. Like this match is brutal at times. Mm. And I think it goes. This is when you really have to give credit to two human beings when they've already had a classic match and then they're going to have another one by going in a completely different direction. Absolutely. And this is a time where Mr. Perfect, like according to some, is not even supposed to be good anymore. I don't buy that at all because you look at this match, you see just how damn great Mr. Perfect still was. Yeah, that's not true. So we're just going to <laughs> we're just going to say that with uh, yeah. uh, emphatically. Throw it away. Bad narrative. I am not the biggest Mr. Perfect fan. Like, like, uh, I, what is it? Maybe six, seven, eight episodes ago. Mm. Like, I could not fathom. I brought up the conversation <laughs> about would you make Mr. Perfect like win a Royal Rumble and be a world champion? And to me, my whole life it was absolutely not. But like, again, in this era, whether it's Luger, whether it's Brett, whether it's Perfect, I don't think any of them is above the others. And oh, if you just went babyface ovations up until now, it would be Mr. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, the more I've thought about it, the more I thought he could have easily been in that conversation. And the thing is, like, oh, well, maybe he wouldn't draw enough. But, like, nobody was drawing that well at this time. So, man, why not try things? Why not follow the fan reaction? I don't know. I'm I'm certainly very open to the idea that Mr. Perfect could have maybe should have been world champion around this time. The day I heard that Hulk Hogan drew 3,000 in Canada, and (laughs) this is what we had to bring him back for, to me – there's nobody that could not have been world champion. It's not. It's not an organic decision. It's a decision. It's a company based decision, and that's it. Here's the astounding thing to me that I did not realize until I kind of looked it up researching for this show. You know that uh, famous um, uh, UK tour that they were supposed to. You know he was going to have with Hogan, Yokozuna. That happened after this event. So, like, why the hell was he even champion before that? (laughs) I I don't think he even worked any house shows when he was actually champion. So it's just even more baffling than it was before. I don't even understand it. It's just Hogan's a good businessman. And so (laughs) 
He saw WWF was in the toilet, and like I don't know that you can say no to the potential, especially if you know it's temporarily rare. So I think Vince had to do it, and Hogan had got his payday. But I do think, even though I contradict myself a little bit because I said Vince would bring him back, and maybe he would, I do think that Vince. I think this would be the time where Vince would know without a shadow of doubt that Hogan's not magic anymore. You'd think. I don't know if that will bear out if we watch long enough, but still, like, I don't know. I'm just astounded that uh, he he will not be gone after this. He will continue working all those house shows. And uh, I don't know, like, between... I don't know. It's just nonsense. I, I, all Everything about this is nonsense. Even looking at house shows... He will never defend that title one single time in his entire reign. So why the hell is he even champion? I don't know. Yeah. Like you said. They said it. Yeah. yeah. They said it at King of the Ring. Hogan hasn't defended his belt till now. Yes. Yeah, you're right. They even talked about it, which is weird also. Yes. I don't know. It's just very strange. I don't understand it at all. And how did he show up in the house shows when he didn't show up at King of the Ring? I can't wait to get to that match because, my God, I have tried to be the defender of Hulk Hogan because I know nobody else is going to do it. But, oh, 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 Lord. All right, we oh, better get rolling then because we're going to have a lot to say and we're uh, we're running along with our tangents. This ain't even your 92 Hogan. I'll say no, it like that. Not even close. This is, There's no Hogan as bad as this one, I don't think. Yeah. So. I will say this. This is my world champion, Mr. Perfect, right here is mm. – I think they should have stopped trying to – someone should have told him, don't try to be the best wrestler on the show. Like, you are an angry Mr. Perfect. Because <laughs> the best WWF baby faces are angry and outraged anyway. And, like, he gained a little bit of weight. Well, lean into it and just be brutal. Because I even said it back then when he was, like, a smaller guy in the 80s. is like, his brutality is as good as his wrestling. Oh, absolutely. Some of the best parts of this match is when he's getting salty. He's uh, acting a little bit heelish again. He is sending Bret Hart uh, flying off the apron at times. and just uh, he's, he's really getting vicious, and that's good stuff. This is why people don't trust me in relationships, and I understand it. And I, I, don't, I blame me and not them, because by God, there's a trickster in here. And if you listen to the first ten minutes of this show, what did you think? And I'm about to say, this Bret Hart, might, he might be the greatest thing that ever lived. Wow, okay, I didn't expect that. That is the trickster. Just in these moments, though. Like, that thing on the apron? Yeah, that was so good. That is the diesel table bump that we're going to see in a few years. Yeah, yeah. Minus the table. So, again, that has to be a Bret Hart thing. Oh, yeah. And even here, maybe worse than a table, he just falls into some buckets that are down there. And that <laughs> looks like it would hurt like hell because he's bigger than buckets. So he's landing in these things that he's also spilling out of. But again, like I said, if I said it earlier, though, if you want to ever call him the greatest, you got this super duper zoom in to very specific spots and matches because that's where his claim to fame is. And so however much he had to do with the brutality of this matchup is how much credit I give him for King of the Ring 93. Because this is the best thing. I think it is a Bret Hart thing. You know, I think it's all Bret Hart. Um, or, or a lot of Bret Hart anyway, because Mr. Perfect, I love him, but I don't know if he's having a lot of matches like this exactly. Yeah. You know, his thing was like the big bumping, and sometimes he'd get mean, and he's incredibly good at those things, but like, yeah, no, Bret Hart is out here, and he's he's doing something special as well, so it's such a wonderful match. This might be my favorite 
WWF match of 1993. It's just that good. It's so beautiful. And it starts with Perfect kicks out and rolls Brett to the floor. And Brett just hops up and gets, like, super aggressive about it. And from that point forward, this is what I love. Like I said before, I think Brett Hart gets the best Diesel matches, and it's not close. No. And that's where the Attitude Era starts to show itself a little bit with that table bump. Mm. And you see some of this. This is 1993, and that's 1995. And Bret Hart knows how to do it, and it's clear that it's clear without Bret Hart having to tell us, which is such a ah, just a relief, isn't it? That Bret Hart's fingerprints are on both of those. Mm, yeah, very good, very good stuff. I say, if this was the final, some if like yes. move the move the brackets around, would you be saying something different about Bret Hart? Like yes. Hogan maybe should have put him over. Yes, yeah. completely different. All right, there you go. So, uh, I, just, I don't know. If you watch this, fans, maybe just imagine this is the final and you might have a better time. <laughs> yeah, because this, this deserves to be a final. And, yeah, I agree. You know, it's just you're not going to get better than this. And then that's also a problem with the show because I think that's why you have to have all three announcers crying buckets of tears for Bret Hart in the last <laughs> match because you're trying to, like, elevate that right. to the best match of the show. But you can't do that because we already had Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect. Right, you don't get much better than that. Man, I love... what well, Bret Hart, he acts like he's going for the sharpshooter, but it's a fake-out. He goes for the figure four instead, which is so smart in itself, because you know Perfect is, like, ready with counters and stuff. And then I love Perfect. It's like trying to slap Bret Hart's face when he's in the move, yes. but he can't reach far enough, and it's such an authentic piece of struggle. It's so gritty. I love it. It's the, it's the best, man. It is. And Perfect puts a whooping on him later. It's oh, just yeah. so good. And he does the Piper thing where Piper held the rope down. But I think uh, Perfect is less forgiving him. And Bret Hart tries to get in the ring. He just goes off on him. Yep, absolutely. He Towards the end of this match, Bret's, heart, Bret's like hand is injured. And Perfect is just grabbing the fingers and like trying to rip them off or something. Yeah. He's like mangling those fingers. It is so awesome. I think there's a part of Mr. Perfect who feels about Bret Hart like Bret Hart will feel about Shawn Michaels. <laughs> There's probably something to that. I like to think uh, there's probably more respect there, but certainly Perfect has to look at a guy like Bret as a guy who, who did sort of take his spot, and I think you alluded to that earlier. Yeah, I think Perfect thinks he's better than Bret, and I think Bret thinks he's better than Shawn, and I think they both think... Because it's funny that Bret and Shawn are best friends, when they're teaming up to say like we need to get rid of everyone who's six foot five, <laughs> but eventually they get rid of everybody who's six foot five, and then what does that mean? Like you know we're gonna have someone who's not six foot five, and then they're never friends again. Yep, and they have to get rid of each other, and yes. by God, do they go at that with tooth and nail? <laughs> so <laughs> I also said this, and maybe this is accounts for me both saying that Bret Hart is not to me like he's not heir apparent, but also I'm praising the hell out of him in this match. Bret Hart always plays possum and then comes back. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's almost a great metaphor of Bret Hart. <laughs> like, he, he, he is both, like, laying on the mat and, like, why am I watching this thing? This guy's dead. But then when he gets up and does something, you're like, oh, okay, I'm paying attention. Ooh, he's alive after all. <laughs> I, he I'm plays trying perfect, to figure out Reagan. if he's playing possum in 1993. He's going to pop up in 1994. So. Yes. And we get the hair throw, which I love so much as oh, a throwback so to SummerSlam. Yeah. Um, again, I don't know why I said it this time, but... Oh, it's because, uh, yeah, Perfect was obviously trying to get booed, and this crowd just liked him and respected him too much <laughs> to do it. 
Absolutely. I mean, you, you, surprisingly, I'm the bigger Mr. Perfect fan, but you have been the one pushing more for like Mr. Perfect is maybe the most popular guy in the company. And the more I look at it, the more it comes out true. So yeah, I don't know. Mr. Perfect, WWF champion, it's as good a time as any. I would have thought about it at least. Yeah. And that's why it happens. We're all, we all got our biases. So like, yeah. I think the more, the more the doors are blown down on one, the more you see something. Yeah, absolutely so. And I, man, I love heated. Both heated perfect and heated Brett are also good. And you don't want to see it all the time. But man, when it happens and then it happens to each other, I think Piper had to like this one because I don't know. <laughs> I love this match, but without that Piper one, I don't know if you get this as easy because if Brett is pulling all of this stuff, he's pulling from his own experiences. And I think there's some Piper influence in this one. Yeah, you could definitely see some of that. It's, um, God, I think ultimately I got to like the SummerSlam match better, but this one is angrier. It's grittier. And there, there's something about that. This is very nearly as good at that. And that, that was also one of my favorite matches we've covered. Yeah. Oh man. That one is definitely better from a historical point. They're almost so different that I don't even like putting right. them in competition with each other. <laughs> and that's a credit to both guys as well. Like that that's really something. This match is so good that an uppercut gets like Randy Savage's like, what a lifter, and then Bobby Heenan's like, he brought him from the basement to the roof. <laughs> that's an uppercut, you know? Oh gosh, that's so good. You know, I didn't think about it, but yeah, you are Bobby Keenan is like less he's much less heelish here. Uh, he's sort of going into his um, his his way that he'll be in WCW, yes. or he's like much more good natured and just like agreeing with the faces. So there's something to that. Like he'll still have his last moment, but it's a bit of a different Bobby Heenan. I feel like that's a, a, a kind of bored. I don't really care, Bobby Heenan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he was invested, but yeah, I feel like he's not putting in the same effort. Maybe that he would have before and maybe even that he would have, if you sit next to monsoon still. So there's something to that. Yeah. And that's, that's sad because I do think it would be different because mm-hmm. I don't think they can, I don't think they could be any other way together. Yeah. If you've ever worked with like a really good friend, and I don't even just mean like your job, like if you've been at school with a really good friend or any kind of thing you're working on and then that person's not there anymore, you're just not going to feel the same way. You're not going to put in the same level of performance. I think yeah, because it's all like the experience is still there. Like you're doing the same thing that you did with that person. Yeah. And that person's not there. And also, you know, the new generation stuff is coming and like, he likes Sean and he likes a couple of others. But I don't think he's feeling this half as much as he felt maybe five years ago. Sure. Yeah. And who can blame him? I mean, uh, not just like for his friends. It's a guy with nerve damage, neck damage. Yeah. Like he wants to be home with his family. When he left in 93, you know, so they say he was just going to be done. You know, he was just going to go, like, be be with his family. He'll get drawn back with the promise of uh, a lot of money. But, um, yeah, you can see this is a guy who probably easily could have retired and just stayed retired. Yeah. And you, it, it's sad to watch because these things have to happen. Yeah. And, like, Jim Ross is, is definitely going through it now. But, you know, you got to move on eventually. But, mm-hmm. If you're a decent human being and you enjoyed somebody, whether you want them to move on or not, it should not be like there should be some sadness, I think, in in the affair. Oh, absolutely. Like I have not really enjoyed Jim Ross's time in AEW, but um, you know, I, it, it is a bit sad to think of him moving on. Even so, like even when you think a guy has passed it, 
you got to think, like, this is a legend, you know, like, and he's done so many good things, and yeah, so, I don't know, Bobby Heen is not really there, like, he's still doing good jobs, he'll do some good stuff in WCW, but whenever a guy is not really at his peak anymore, and his peak was so high, you kind of yep. have to feel a little bit sad about it. You do, and it's, it's, it's starting to show up. Like I said, to me, it just count. I, I really think 12 times that Savage and, and Bobby Heenan explicitly say, like, I agree with you. Like, I agree with him. And, you know, at that point, whether he's entertaining or not, he's not Bobby the Brain Heenan, the character, you know, because, like, they don't agree with anything. Usually Savage stands up and tries to, like, swat him from across the table. Right, yeah. Bobby Heenan would have to, like, flee the booth if they agreed too much, you know, in the past. So Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Oh, well. I like the over-the-top suplex spiel as well. Holy smokes, yeah. This is another Bret Hart thing, I think, that you rarely see from others, where they both, like, get suplexed out to the floor and just land in this terrible heap, and it's great stuff. So this one's going to be the inside cradle by Mr. Perfect, and then Bret's going to roll it over and get the victory. Yeah, yeah, a very narrow victory right there, and we'll, we'll get a nice comment from Mr. Perfect later, so we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah, but yeah, that one is clearly the match to watch if you only watch one match from the show, and I don't think it's close. Indeed. Oh, Oh, boy. Gene Erkelin is with the WWF champion Hulk Hogan uh, in the back, and did you catch what Jimmy Hart said in this promo, or no? I never catch what Jimmy Hart says anymore, purposefully. I don't listen to this man. (laughs) I was distracted this whole promo by... We had to have, like, a close-up of Jimmy Hart's horrifying jacket, which was, like, a giant caricature of Hogan's face, so. Yeah, we got the whole thing zooming. Well, I don't know why. Like, maybe that's the whole thing about Hogan being back and not being back. Like, you got Hulk Hogan back, but you're like, just focus in on the picture on the coat and ignore, <laughs> like, the Hulk Hogan. It has more muscles, so. Yes. Jimmy Hart gives, like, four to six of the lyrics from the WCW theme song for Hulk Hogan. Does he? Interesting. <laughs> that blew my mind. Like, why do people not talk about that? That's, that is a fascinating tidbit right there. Well, I mean, I believe Jimmy Hart wrote that, so yes. I guess why not? But that does beg the question, does Jimmy Hart sit around writing, like, poetry about Hulk Hogan <laughs> in his spare time? I don't know about that. He probably does. He probably still does, for guys. Or is he writing Hulk Hogan's theme, WCW theme song at this point? It, I, maybe. I can't imagine he was already thinking of that specifically, maybe as a contingency. But uh, it's, it's just a fascinating thing that WCW's... It is. Anyway, I wonder if, what, he would, if he stuck around, would he give the... Would he say lines about when Hogan gave like his boots to a dying child or whatever? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Gene Oakland says, perhaps the greatest hero in the history of the planet. Ugh. As good as Oakland was needling Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect, he is showing me his bad side here as he just, yeah. uh, you know, Bret Hart should have drawn Oakland as well in that uh, drawing he made yeah. backstage. So. <laughs> oh, dear. So Hogan has nothing to say because Hulk Hogan's not here, folks. Um, we're going to go to the ring. It's going to be Yokozuna. Uh, versus Hulk Hogan, and by God, do they hang a lantern on this whole uh, photographer thing. Yeah, they really hit it hard, don't they? Yeah, like I've never seen so many. Uh, let's zoom in on that man with the big beard wearing the fake beard there. Uh, he's interesting. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. Lord. 
WWF will always be WWF. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I I pulled out my um my old notes from from three years ago when I watched this, and one of my first ones is uh, Hogan, you orange bitch, you should have put Brett over. So <laughs> I, I I was feeling some kind of way at this time, I guess. Oh dear. I like your line. I'm glad we can have a more nuanced conversation, but I also like that line. <laughs> I don't know why anyone wants this Hulk Hogan to put them over, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I don't know what you get from beating the bones, but uh, it's, you know, oh well. And then again, how much WWF booking Hulk Hogan, because he gets a big ovation when he comes out, but then that's just that's about the end of it after that. Man, I it's funny. I was ready to come in here. And maybe praise Hogan because at least, like, I was going to say, at least he put over Yokozuna. And I guess he kind of does, but Jesus fucking Christ, he is insufferable in this match at times. Because yeah. he's still doing, like, his goofiest stuff. He's making his duck face. He's wagging his finger. Like, all this stuff. So he's still just, like, the most obnoxious Hulk Hogan. And he's not even, like, 90% of him is not even here. He's not, because he has the best instincts that you can have, and yet, when he, like, stops wrestling Yoko to go, like, to the rope and talk to Jimmy Hart, Savage is like, or Bobby Heenan's like, why is he doing that? And it's, that's a heel move. That's not a babyface move. <laughs> yeah. Like, the wrestler needs, like, a timeout with his manager. I don't understand still why he has Jimmy Hart all this time. Like, I guess they were friends, but, like, you're not doing him or yourself any favors with this stupid alliance you have. And WWF, in my opinion, is hedging their bets. Like, I do think they would bring Hogan back, and I do think they probably were not sure if he'd ever come back. Mm. But they are setting up this slam thing, and this, like, Hogan's Hogan's attempts to slam Yoko are embarrassing. Where Randy Savage will say on the, like, the best he could do was lift his left leg. (laughs) You know, and then they talk about it the rest of the night. So while... I think they are protecting just in case. They are also burying Hulk Hogan. So I think the relationship is kind of over over here, even though it's not 100% so. Yeah, and like you say, that's the kind of thing which could so easily uh, be reversed. Um, yes. You know, so they, they really are hedging their bets, but they're not entirely kind to Hogan. Yes. Um, and I will say this, like, I'll give credit a little bit because Yokozuna will kick out of the leg drop here. Yes. Which is not something they had to do. And it did seem to shock the crowd. So something I think worthwhile happening there at least. Yeah. He kicked out of the leg drop and beat him with the leg drop. So yeah, it's a, it is a good, like I said, when they, we'll get to it, but when Yoko's in the back with the, like I felt pride for Yokozuna. <laughs> I always feel pride for Yokozuna. He's my guy. I love him. And also, there, there's some poetic things. I think they're unintentional, but they're poetic nonetheless. Uh, one cool thing that we did that we did get from the Bruce Pritchard thing is that Hogan must pose. Like that's like a thing. Like Hogan must pose. Hogan must pose. Mm-hmm. So like, he's not the narcissist. That's like Sluger. But yet, <laughs> when that cameraman hops on the apron, it's like half of Hogan's like, "You don't need to be up here," and half is like, "Did you want me to pose? Like, do you need a picture of me?" <laughs> Like, why the hell is he wandering over there except his own vain, habitual ways? So, like, in a way, he buried himself there at the end. I suppose. It's a it's a, a, a trope and a lazy one that anyone who jumps on the apron immediately, like, attracts yeah. the attention of the wrestler. But I like your idea better. It's just his posing instinct kicked in, and, uh, you know, his muscle memory gave him no choice. 
It is, and you won't talk about people on the apron wait till SummerSlam, but oh boy. I, I agree with you a thousand percent. <laughs> okay, so Yokozuna, after this whole little camera thing uh, happens, we're going to get For a leg drop. And know, a if you have a chance to watch, a cameraman in a goofy disguise will shoot a fireball at Hulk Hogan, and that will make him lose, so take that for what you will. Yeah, Yoko hits the leg drop, Yoko gets the pin, and it, he's not done. He's going to drag Hulk Hogan to the corner and put a bonsai drop on him. Yeah, and I'll say this for Bobby Heenan, he is beyond pleased by all of this, so at least uh, we have that bit of consistency left in his character. Yeah, he says Hulkamania is dead. Uh, Jim Ross says Yokozuna squashed Hulkamania. Well, probably Ian, he's going to go out, have to go over and see Hulkamania all over again. But um, I guess that was his choice. I will say this. To me, this is also the uh, symbolism, the picture of the end of Hulkamania. When we started this series, Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania were so larger than life that it kind of felt like it filled the universe and Hulkamaniacs, even if there were millions of them, were a tiny dot within a great circle of Hulkamania that filled the whole world. Like when they first started calling him the immortal, from a mm-hmm. felt sense, it felt like Hulkamania and WWF and this run will live forever. Yeah. And then Hogan's star got a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller. And the Hulkamaniacs started growing up and growing up and growing up and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then on King of the Ring, 1993, after all of that, there is a skeleton Hulk Hogan wrestling, and there is a Hulk Hogan impersonator in the crowd. And the only difference between them is a suntan. If there was a suntan, they would be the same person. So at the end of Hulkamania, after all the threats to the Hulkamaniacs, after all the times he saved them and put them on his shoulder and his hand, the end of Hulkamania is when Hulkamaniac and Hulk Hogan are eye to eye, the same size, mm. and there's just nothing left after that. Mm. That's very well said. It's it's wild to be here in '93 to be looking at this and how it's just kind of sad and Hogan is so small and we joke about it. I don't just mean physically small though, just like you said, like his aura is small, like a lot. He's small in a spiritual way. And you think back to 85, 86, 87, 88, and God, this man, he felt bigger than the universe, you know. Buildings would literally shake when he came out because people were so wild about it. And just, God, it feels like that happened in a different lifetime now. It does. There's something beautiful, whether you like it or not. I think Hulk Hogan in the early 80s, mid-80s, did not know any better. Vince McMahon did not know any better. And sometimes the best things we'll ever do in our life is when we just don't know better. Like Even writing their stupid script that was going to be the beginning of the end for WWF and Hulkamania in a way, like them in a hotel staying up all night writing it, you know, <laughs> they didn't know better. They thought that they could take over the world because they were taking over the world. Yeah. And then someone, someone says from the outside, these guys are taking over the world. And then there's a narrative, and it's never the same. Absolutely. They were babies together. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it became what it became. <laughs> I think we said at the time, and I'll say it again, there is nothing like when you are making the legacy as opposed to when the legacy is already made. When you're mm. at a time in 85 and nothing is guaranteed to you 
and you're betting big on yourselves and you don't know what will happen and it could all come crashing down around you at any moment. Like you're alive in that moment. You have to be like, and now, now in 93, like the, the energy is just so not there. Like you're not going to fail. Even if you do fail, you'll just kind of like keep failing forward. You don't really have to try. You don't have to try to be anything. You know, your mind is somewhere else. It's just, it's so different. So value those times when something is being built as opposed to when the building has been completed. Yes, that is so well said. And we never do. I don't know why the Johnny Cash version of the song Hurt is like in my heart right now. And I know as an adult and like who the hell even knows on the whole cooking Vincent Man level. But there are times where like all I want is for everything that I have tried to build to go to hell to a point that I cannot get my arms around it because I feel like from now until the time that I die, I will never get to do anything new or fresh unless I lose the thing that I have built. Mm. And like to have carried Hulkamania and the WWF and all of this, I don't think it's there because man, they want to get the money and stuff, but like there has to be something somewhere that you're just like, God damn it. I want this thing to end. Cause like mm. he's not, he's not all these things. Nobody's all those things. And just, I don't know, when you get a certain age, like you've kind of decided how you're going to be for the rest of your life. And maybe that's calming for some people, but for me, that freaks me out. Mm. And like, I wish sometimes Yokozuna would come in and give me the leg drop and I would just have to start over again. (laughs) No, I feel that. Like, in anything you do, in like a job or a skill or even a relationship you might have, you're always going to look back on those early days when it's fresh and part of you yep. is going to covet that feeling and you should seek that feeling in new experiences. Sometimes you may have to lose something. You may have to lose your comfort or you may have to lose, uh, yeah. you know, some place that you are. So it, it's a lesson in life. I think that you really have to think about. It is. And you see these things like to me, that's the perfect as someone, I think both of us agree. We're, we, we despise the little shooty shoot Vince Russo thing. <laughs> yes. But, like, the authenticity where you can know enough about real life that you can I, – I want to enjoy my product just as my product, and I want it to stand alone. Mm. But I want to step aside sometimes and be like, whether I like this person, like that person, don't like this person. I've watched people give their lives and their existences. I've watched them rise. i watched them fall. i watched them start. i watched them end. Mm. And just from a psychology point of view that we're all we're all creatures that are aware we're going to die, like that should mean something. Every human being like spending themselves should mean something because all a human being can do is spend themselves. And a lot of times it's not even going to feel, feel like you did. So like if you make a little bit of noise and especially if you're not hurting people, you're not doing horrible things. But if you make a little bit of noise in this world and you meant something to somebody and there was significance and meaning like there should be beauty in that. There should be horror in that. There should be all kinds of feelings in that. And while I think Hulk Hogan's so gone, it's hard to feel that, you know, we did, this is the legacy series. And that big 320 pounder that looked like he was 12 years old is also somewhere within that bag of bones that got charted out by Yokozuna here. Yeah. It's so strange to think that man who, who seemed to be built like a building 
and, uh, you know, just, like, you call him immortal, and yeah, like, sure, probably, <laughs> like, and now he's this, and uh, it's just yeah. very strange to think, and yet, and yet, Hollywood Hogan will be here yes. in a few years, and he will be as fresh as he ever was, and as big as he ever was, so, you know, there's always something you can do, I think. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. My entire professional life, the one thing that I've done is try to focus on narratives, and a lot of people around me focus on narrative building, which is awesome. But to me, when you come up in certain things, whether that's trauma or abuse or you just come up far away from what you ultimately feel like you actually are or could have been, the harder thing is like, not how do I get into a narrative because we're creatures of habits and we all become narrative creatures. How the fuck do I get out of a narrative? And like that's what you said. Like this Hulk Hogan is dead, but Hollywood Hogan is gonna revive the business again. And so that's a beautiful a beautiful thing. Getting into a narrative that you love, God bless you, you are beautiful, enjoy the hell out of it. But man, you want my respect? Get out of a narrative that seems impossible to get out of and have another run. Yeah. Oh, how many people feel stuck or unsatisfied in their lives? They never figure out a way to get out of it feels like a lot so yeah we're in a moment change something that's really something i don't know if introverts are the only people that ever had like internal thoughts before the pandemic but (laughs) post pandemic it's like the whole world feels like i have felt for most of my life and like people are just actively leaving jobs and they're like i'm not going to take this stuff like whatever they're going through like i don't know what human beings do when they leave their jobs but you know like I kind of, <laughs> I'm 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 recording from the office. So like I mean I love my job, but you know, uh, <laughs> but like we are in a moment where it's like, in a good way I think people are saying this is a short life and my narrative, whatever it's going to be, it's got to be more than what it's been. Absolutely, and I think they're also saying um, the narrative that the world is stuck in uh, is not working and we need to change it. So you know, talking about changing. A big narrative, that's the biggest one, so I don't know, will we be able to? I don't know, but I think maybe we need to. Yeah, we can try. Might get one le- the left leg off the ground at least. <laughs> Even a bag of bones can lift a one leg off the ground, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do. What a mighty win, though, for Yokozuna. So, it is, you know. yeah. For as badly as Hogan was behaving for some of this match... You know, he does the stretcher job, he does the whole thing, so at least there's something there. Yeah, to me the most vulnerable thing, weirdly, was Yoko having one of his hands in Fuji. Fuji, for God's sake, not Bobby Heenan, not not any, <laughs> not Andre the Giant. Fuji taking the other hand and dragging him to the corner for the bonsai. So all those conversations we had about Sherry, about Heenan, about Jimmy Hart, about Fuji... By God, it was Fuji all along. It was Fuji all along who killed Hulkamania. Go figure. <laughs> That's really something. They should be really... They're very smart not to let Fuji be the one with the fireball. He would have sent that right into Yokozuna's face. Oh, yes. You know he was pissed <laughs> off. It. He goes, all right, wa- go back. I didn't think about this. Thank you for that. Go back and watch. Yokozuna is actually has his hand and is trying to drag him, and he can't do it. And he gives Fuji like this ugly look, like pick up the other hand and drag him. <laughs> Fuji is not helping him do it. Go back and watch it. He doesn't want it to happen. Oh, my gosh. No, like, this is the worst night in Fuji's career. 
now I gotta ask. I, I skimmed through this a little bit because I'd seen it before, but I just I'm now the the cameraman is in a disguise. Who the hell is it? Like, is it somebody that we're supposed to know? It's not Harvey Whippleman, is it? It might be, but I don't know if it's supposed to be or not. Like, you think it should be Jim Cornette or something, because he's about to come in, I think. But, uh, yeah, you would think. It's not him. Maybe it's his spirit or something. I don't know. I don't know if it ever is, like, revealed to be someone, like, intentionally. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything pop up readily. No, yeah, so... Well, whoever it was had a hell of a beard. Like, that's that must is true. Maybe it was Sherry. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> I wish it was. <laughs> Jim Cornette is going to get a very nice... Have you seen when Jim Cornette gets uh, introduced? Yeah, he and brings him in, and uh, yeah. they have a very nice... And we will cover that for sure on this show. Absolutely. So. so, yeah, that happens. And the bag of bones, if he was going to come back, should just be like the second match on a card wrestling that cameraman. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, that feels about right. So. so we will go to, I think, Coliseum Home video where the Red Rooster is uh, seeking to speak with Mr. Perfect after his match with Bret Hart. Man, he is such a drag. But I'll say I like this segment because one thing people complain about kind of in the modern day, and uh, this has been directed at uh, John Cena, people in WWE, when they lose a match, they kind of like don't care about it. They just brush it off. And this is very much the opposite of that because he will kind of try to needle Mr. Perfect about losing the match, and Perfect will just be pissed. He'd be like, leave me alone. Don't, go away. Don't talk to me. Like That was nice. I like that. I love that. Number one, because I expect it from uh, Mr. Perfect. And number two, like I've said this, like if I care more than them, I'm not watching your show. Right, right, absolutely. Speaking of people who don't care, and they're going to make not caring cool, Shawn Michaels has won the IC title, and he's got a new bodyguard behind him who helped him do it. And we're going to be introduced to this man by name. He is going to be the one known as Diesel. Yep, yep. He will laugh about what happened to Hogan. So it couldn't happen to him. He says, Hogan <laughs> is not the same caliber as me. And this is the really telling part. He calls him a dinosaur. Yes. And that, that's what really stuck me. Like, that's your best argument for they were actually burying Hulk Hogan here. Yeah, because that's I don't know that you would say that on a lot of shows. And then... Just from the history, too, like, it's weird that they're going to wrestle that match where Michaels is going to kind of mock Hogan the whole time, and this is, like, <laughs> a Shawn Michaels that you think would never be on screen with Hulk Hogan already mocking him, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's the WC. They're going to put this whole narrative on him later, but they have not yet. He just lost the WWF title, but again, here he is right in front of Gene Oakland, too, being called a dinosaur. Right, like, at this time, I would think it's, like, illegal. A lot of people doing illegal things tonight. It's illegal to call anybody old. Unless they're like Randy Savage or mm. Bob Backlund, and you know they're supposed to be old, so I was really shocked by that comment. And yeah, I was definitely thinking forward to some uh, some other things we will know about Hogan and Michaels as well. I think if we could reset the Legacy series, I would like to give ourselves and our listeners maybe three cards that like you can change history, and where would you spend them? Where would you use them? <laughs> and I don't know for sure where I would, but. I want Hogan gone. I'm glad he's gone. But if we're just going by history and WWF, a weird thing happened that not even Vince knew because the moment they call him a dinosaur, they're also transitioning to who, who the, the next Hulk Hogan in a way standing behind Shawn Michaels. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. I want to say we've already talked maybe too much about this, but I just got to throw it out a second before we go back to Diesel. All, all this talk about Hogan, well, maybe he shouldn't have put over Bret Hart because Bret Hart's not hot enough. 
all this stuff. He puts over Yokozuna, and Yokozuna, after WrestleMania 10, will be, like, mid-card for life. Like, he will never really approach the main event at all again. So is that a wasted opportunity, then? I guess is the question I have to ask. It's a fair question. It, my, it still doesn't say that he should have put over Bret Hart for me, you know, yeah, but... Yeah. But I don't, don't say it's to, wasted, though, because... I feel like they should have at least just had an idea, a strong idea, of who they did want to run with, and just tried to go for it, and they don't. They just put over Yokozuna, and then they kind of throw him away a few months later, so, I don't know. I don't think they were prepared, because... Yeah. I don't think Vince is, you know, in his right state right now. I don't think they know what they're doing. Right. You know, because... Like, Lex Luger's about to be the next Hulk Hogan, so, like, put him over Hulk Hogan, you know? <laughs> For God's sake, but, right. you know, he puts over Yoko, and I think Yoko, I Vince McMahon had his way, and I'm not saying this should happen, but, well, it actually should happen, but Luger was going to beat Yokozuna, so, mm. you know, that was the plan. Vince McMahon wanted Luger to go over at SummerSlam. Vince McMahon got overruled, which is a thing that does happen, whether people want to um, believe it does or not. Um, I got to hear about that when we get there, because I did not know that. <laughs> Well, Vince is the only one that wants Luger to get the belt. Like, I think Bret Hart is against it. Bruce Pritchard is against it. Pat Patterson is against it. There's someone else. I got, I can't not find the sources, but I know they exist. There are claims that some of the wrestlers went to him and pretty much said that if Luger gets the belt, then they, they're going to, I don't know what they're going to do, protest, not do their job, or he better not win the belt. And I thought to myself, I can never find that. Like, oh, did that not exist? And I saw a random comment in the comment section that was talking about it. So someone <laughs> has said it, but like Vince McMahon was very pro Lex Luger. Like they were buddies apparently all the way back from WBF. And so it's weird. And I'm not even saying like Luger should have held it that long, but like that at least would have got a spike. Like Hogan not slam. Like I, I can see in someone's head the man that beat Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan can't slam him. And then Luger slams him on July 4th on that stage and then mm. beats him for the world title. Like, that's a Vince McMahon way, uh, like a clean, like, that's a race 10 years in 10 minutes, you know, and <laughs> by God, we've done it. Like, I think that would be the plan. And part of me watching this thing, that whether they knew it was Luger or not, like, Vince knew somebody was about to do what Hulk Hogan couldn't do. Yeah, I mean, they were definitely relying on the transit of property, so I guess you can debate how successful that was or not. But, man, I'll just say, how dumb... To come out against Lex Luger, why? Like, I, I guess it just goes back to, like, people didn't like Lex Luger because he liked to make money too much. Like, he cared about good business. Yeah. So, okay. Well, that's what they said, too. Like, Luger didn't hang out with anybody hardly in WWF. He wasn't. He was just kind of to himself. And then um, he didn't politic. So there was, like, this whole thing building against this Lex Express thing. And he wasn't even, like, Luger wasn't pro-Lex Express and everybody else was anti it. <laughs> Because, like, you know, the last thing in the world that they ever, like, Bret Hart and them did not fight to eliminate Hulk Hogan from the WWF to see Hulk Hogan Jr., like, rise up in a month. <laughs> so, like, I understand it. And I also understand why when one guy won't defend it and everybody else is against it, why you do that. But I think that would probably be the play. And whether that's good or not, I think they were going to take all that Yoko energy and then put it on the American that American gimmick was never going to work, but I think that would be what was in Vince McMahon's head. I suppose that makes sense. It seems weaker than doing it more directly, but uh, it is what yes. it is. I'll just say this: this is to your point, the unfairness of the universe to Lex Luger, because supposedly all the wrestlers also 
came out against Ultimate Warrior, and that didn't do anything. Yes. He became champion anyway, so that's yes. dumb. And also, where were all these wrestlers when fucking Hulk Hogan was winning the belt when he was a bag of bones? Why did they all stand up at that time? Like, they were just sitting on their hands, I guess. But, oh, no, when Lex Luger's going to do it in the prime of his career, let's all, like, storm Vince's office and hold him <laughs> hostage. The only time in the history of the company that yes. that happened, let's do it to Lex Luger. So that's to your point for sure. And I believe all of it because, number for a lot of reasons, but also the least Vince McMahon thing in the world is to say, I was going to, like, I, I kind of saw maybe putting the belt on you but I, I want to hold it off till WrestleMania 10. Like they have like, I want to do a weird suspension of my idea. <laughs> like you don't do all of that to put it off for over half a year. Yeah. So it's, it, there's a mess, a whole mess in this. And then around 94, I, I got to find all these things, but I also heard that Bret Hart told Vince, I think maybe around WrestleMania that he's thinking about retiring and like, maybe this isn't working anymore. So yeah, there are some, there are some ways to do business and, now that the Luger narrative has changed and like all the Jim Rosses will say, you know, slightly better things about him. <laughs> I'll find a quote for the Luger, but finally it's like, well, Luger didn't politic at all and it didn't do him any favors. Like even something that simple has never been said until now. And now Jim Ross is saying that. In uh, two weeks, I think, of airtime, we will be doing a very special, very in-depth Lex Luger episode. So um, we will look forward to that conversation going out further. Uh I'll say this, Bret Hart should have stuck more with his Starbucks buddy. Like, they should have they should have yes. not been opposed to each other here. I wish he had because I would like their friendship. And, like, Same. everybody's always praised Bret Hart. Like, if you ever watch the ending of the Royal Rumble, like, everybody's like, oh, Bret Hart's so good to get Lex Luger over the top rope. And, like, Bret Hart gave some credit to Lex Luger for that, the way that they fell. So Yeah, that's, that's because Bret Hart is, if nothing else, honest, I believe. And, uh... You know, he has his own perspective, but I think he will uh, give yeah. his honest opinion, and that just, um, yeah, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> so Diesel is here, folks. Would like it or lump it, and we are headed towards that. But first, oh this is an interesting one. They'd love to have these uh, mid-card, second-half uh, type attractions. And we got the Steiners and the Smoking Guns versus the Head Shrinkers and Money Inc. and Crush and Shawn Michaels coming up before we get to our main event. Indeed, and I just have to rewind a quick second and once again make fun of how stupid the Diesel name introduction yes, is because please. Shawn Michael, Diesel, Kevin Nash, a guy who probably his only strength was like his promo ability and being tall, just stands there saying nothing. And Shawn Michaels will like explain to us what diesel fuel is. And yes. it's the dumbest thing that I ever saw. It's just. He's diesel fuel, like fuel, like you can make a truck go. And I'm like, dude, just, oh my God, stop. You're not ready for what's coming, my friend. <laughs> that <laughs> I'm was really almost... not. I, this is one of my most unknown eras. I think it's really going to make me suffer. So here we go. Yeah. So Diesel's here. Vinny Vegas is better than Diesel for the record. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not prepared to say Oz isn't better. Nah. Vinny Vegas is, uh, I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> yes. Vinny Vegas, at least that does something. And he's kind of sleazy, and he kind of looks like a Vinny Vegas. I don't know if he can look like Diesel or not. I still don't get it after all these years. That's yeah. my bad. Yeah. Oh, well. Okay, so Randy Savage says he feels like he's wrestled in 40 matches tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Again, wishful thinking. 
Um, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, this, this is a fine match. Like, it's decent. Like, these eight guys all together. Um, I, 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 Ted, Ted will be uh, managing these Steiners in a couple years, so I'll think about that for a second. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm, this is the match. Bobby Haynes says, do you know anyone who didn't go to school to Jim Ross? <laughs> <laughs> He's probably going to rattle off all eight colleges here easily. I wonder where the head shrinkers went. I wonder where he would have said. So. Yeah. They discussed smoking guns going to school, so that's where it all came from with me. It's <laughs> hilarious. Shouldn't they have uh, gone this, to some, like, rodeo college or something? Or, uh, yeah, I don't know what happened. Something about that and some... I don't know. What is he going to... Like, he'll never talk about schools when he's wearing the hat. Like, I don't know. So He becomes a character. Like, he becomes yeah. what he can't be at this time. So, just like we said with the Hogan stuff, maybe, you know, just hang around long enough. You can do the impossible because... I would not like this. It feels just impossible, like at a human level, that he can do it. And later on, he will be that cowboy hat. I have this weird image of him talking about Billy Gunn in the future, talking about how he like majored in ass at college. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> oh, Jerry Lawler like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> so what happens here? It's one of the smoking guns, I think, gets the victory. Maybe yeah, Billy creative. will pin uh, Ted DiBiase, and uh, they will not do their finisher on him, I believe. Nope. So go figure. Good point. They can't. Don't put don't put Teddy Biasi in the air right now. I don't feel oh like that'd be God, good for no. him. I think SummerSlam is his his farewell. It'll be his last uh, match in the WWF. I think that's mighty fine. Yeah. That's weird. Like Hogan and DiBiase going out around the same time. You know. Everybody's going out within like almost a year. Like everyone seems to be gone, whether they want to be or not. So. Gene Oakland is with Yoko Fuji and that awful Jack Tunney. Um, <laughs> He has a nerve being down there congratulating them. <laughs> he looks grumpy, but he always kind of looks like that. So Then the, ca- the camera people try to take pictures, and Gene's like, not so close. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and Fuji is like, camera, why did you say camera? So there you go. Fuji. I love, this is my favorite thing. Gene Okerlund would be like, well, many Americans are not very happy about this. And Fuji would be like, why? Yeah, that's a hell of a question. <laughs> I thought that was a mic drop moment. Yes, that was great. Okerly can't even like. He's like, oh well, I, uh, they, I guess they thought it shouldn't have happened. So, yeah. yeah like, All it, right. It's like it's a mighty fine question. It is. It is. I love it. Okay, so that I just like seeing Yoko because like, no matter what you want to say, should have happened, could have happened. What did happen is Yokozuna beat Hulk Hogan and sent him out on a stretcher, and he's not going to come back in this world. Yeah. So, like, get the camera off Fuji and Jack Tunney and Gene Erkelin and just look at, like, a guy who, you know, just did the impossible. Uh, yeah. Yokozuna, he's got the belt back on his shoulder. He's a two-time uh, – he has now held the WWF title as many times as Randy Savage. Absolutely. This mountain of a man. I love Yokozuna. So, with all this conversation, ultimately, I can't be sad about him going over here. He's got a very nice reign, I think. Yeah, he has a good reign. And also – He's the man who holds this thing up when, you know, otherwise, I don't know what you're doing because right. Luger's done after SummerSlam, and who else is going to get it? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about some possibilities, but you can't say any of them are clearly better than Yokozuna. Yeah, and they're going to get it at Survivor Series. Like, is, once SummerSlam doesn't happen, WrestleMania 10 is going to be the event, so, you know, you better hope you got someone who can hold it, hold things up till then, and, and I think fortunately they do with Yokozuna. Indeed, yeah, they are very fortunate to have Yokozuna. 
in a weird night between like world title matches and Kings of the Ring, where Savage says King of the Ring is as big as world title, you got this like IC title match just kind of sitting in between them. <laughs> and also, I like this match pretty well, you know, for what it is. Um, yeah. This is a strong uh, a compliment towards Shawn Michaels, as he's had so far, maybe, is that he will take Crush to maybe his best match ever. I don't know about that, but it's possible. I thought he elevated Crush way more than I've seen so far. And it's yeah. not. It's like I went into this thinking, like, can I skip this match? <laughs> and he makes Crush look like that's twice. I thought Crush is going to win the belt, even when I know better. <laughs> he he plays this off very nicely. He's got some very big bumps. He makes Crush look very good. He does that bit. I always remember. I don't know why, but that bit where he goes into the ring post really stuck with me. Yeah, that was a big one. Yeah, like, it's a sure. weird match. Sean takes it to him at times, which is weird. And Bobby Heenan's even like, just get the count out. Don't like, don't go out there and do that. <laughs> Lex Luger should not have been listening. but uh, Yes. <laughs> uh, Diesel's out there, so that's something. And um, Randy Savage is campaigning hard for Crush to slam Yoko and become the WWF champion. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the Savage-Crush connection is, but they will they will be tightly connected at times in their career. Yeah, Crush is close to Randy Savage and The Undertaker, so, like, he doesn't really have to show up to work to get paid, I don't think. (laughs) And that often shows, unfortunately. Yeah. I always thought Crush would be a lot better than he was. I'll just say that. Maybe that's the reason. Yeah, I agree. Uh, He looks powerful here, of course, against Sean. Like, you know, he looks like he could beat Sean, and Sean's got to keep escaping him. But the energy's good, the pace is good, and I love... (laughs) So... The doinks are going to come out, and but they're going to come out as if it's only one of them, but the other one is imitating him behind him, and that's just it's an interesting sight. This is kind of more memorable. Like, the more I think about it, the more I, I realize this is sort of a memorable match because I also have that strong image of the doinks walking, like, in a perfect line so that you can't tell there's more than one until the camera moves, so. Yeah, Bobby says, I only see one. <laughs> And they're, like, smoking the cigars, and they're, like, yes. there's some vibe about it that I dig. You know, it's still this Mad Born stuff that's so good. It makes you wonder why Survivor Series has to suck, because if it does. Um, but, like, Doink being out there with Michaels was so curious to me. It's, like, two heels that aren't in the same world, and then, like, the cigars and stuff. So it was a fun mashup of different talents. Yeah, it actually was. And, uh... I'll just say this. We've talked a lot about possible kings of the ring. Could have been Doink just as easily as any of these people. Like, yes. I would have loved to see King Doink, the clown king of the WWF. Yes, I think I said that on the episode, and I, I don't see you why. I have, yeah. I want to throw it out even stronger here. It, it, it's a perfect fit. Because yeah. uh, this, man, this man antagonizes the fans. And, like, again... For no reason, because Crush is the one who spent his whole year being pissed off because a clown was having fun at ringside. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why this feud has to keep going, uh, to be honest. But uh, I, don't, I don't know. I didn't mind it as I watched it. But now I'm like, did these guys really have to feud for a calendar year? Probably not. Probably not. That's for Crush's sake, I think. Doink can move on at any time and be fine. Very true. Yeah, I would love to see Doink move on. Does he... I think he wrestles Brett at SummerSlam because he's like the, the, the first opponent before he yes. wrestles Lawler. So that should be good. That is the other thing that I want to say. And because I do, I think Brett's putting on a lot of great matches, but he's not putting most of them on against nobody. 
Oh, that's very true. Yeah, I mean, he, he's fighting some some top level talent here. Uh, yeah, Doink will do that. I don't know what Crush does until he feeds a Savage next year. This I don't. He'll he'll fight Yokozuna on Raw, I think. And uh, he'll get sat on and he'll be out for a while. So that that's part of it, at least. See, that's another thing, and again, that nobody talks about. Can you imagine if Yoko was like destroying? People and putting the flag on them. Mm. Hulk Hogan would never claim for the sake of America, like, I will beat you in one shot and then I get the job done. <laughs> like, you need to go away at that point. Like, yeah. what is wrong with you? And Crush is another one. Like, Yoko's just laying bodies and, and somebody needs to do something, but nobody's capable. So, yeah, can you'll you put a lot of people out, actually. So, that's a good point. That's something to think about. Michaels does the super kick to the back of the head, and then Crush does the the most uh, choreographed like face to the turnbuckle, and then falls down, and Michaels gets the victory. Uh, as the Doinks celebrate with their cigars, what a world! <laughs> <laughs> Something about that, I do enjoy it. The Doinks and their cigars. He's the only thing in this era that he just seems like I don't know that he's doing something offensive against the era. Like he's got an edge to him, but. He does. Enjoy so he's making here. fun of New Gen somehow. <laughs> yeah. Old Gene Oakland. He is with Bam Bam Bigelow. Mm-hmm. I gotta say quickly, just because you'll enjoy this, um, multiple doinks is much greater than the multiple stings we'll see on the other side. So oh, that's, that's so a true. point in favor of the WWF. <laughs> yeah, and also because WWF didn't have Kevin Nash be one of them and make you th- the announcers think it was still doink. <laughs> That was the day I was when Kevin Nash came out as the fake Sting. I was like, "My fuck this shit!" I, and I'm, I'm paying like what forty, fifty, sixty dollars for that this stuff. Uh, Stop it! Yeah, they they love to make people sting. They they went too far. I agree. Yes. So this Bam Bam, they're really letting him know again that like, my God, man, if you ever if you never wrestled a match, you're gonna win this one, right? <laughs> right. You're gonna beat Bret Hart. You're the biggest piece of crap we ever saw. So I guess that'll tell you something right there. Oh dear. So Bam Bam is in a worse situation than meeting Bret Hart. Like you better get in there and get it done. But Bret Hart's narrative, like this is a, this is what I mean too. That it's not a Bret Hart problem, but these narratives suck. Like this is number one. You're eight years in the business and you win the world title and Razor's like, I've been here eight months and I've done as much as you. And he's killed the narrative. And now it's like, oh, my God, little Bret Hart, little weak Bret Hart. Can we call the match for Bret Hart? Bret Hart's got courage, but he can't win matches. Like, dear <laughs> God, just right, have a little faith. He was he was the world champion since November. He might get past Bam Bam Bigelow. There's a possibility. It's on the table. Yeah, I guess the presentation of this match is a bit strange. I, it didn't bother me as much as you, I think. But uh, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is the weakest Bret Hart match of the night, I think. I, I felt like that was pretty obvious. I think it pissed me off, too, because this little scam monster Bret Hart comes limping out like he does at Royal Rumble in order to get all the sympathy <laughs> uh, that he'll get then, too. So like he's, he's got himself some some moves that I've noticed. Uh, for sure. Um you know, uh, DDP got over more, taping his ribs all the time. Yep. So, like, you know, take a lesson, Bret Hart. Um, I don't, there's some fun stuff in there. I think Bret Hart, you know, uh, he does a good job of selling. I think that he's tired and that he's, like, trying to figure out the way to win this match. And Bigelow 
when he's not bear hugging, he does some good things. Like he, he'll press slam Brett out to the floor at one point. That got a nice pop from me. Yeah, those WWF announcers, I think, were shocked at how many times Brett was doing things on the floor. So that's also, I guess, to Brett's credit that he was kind of opening things up a little bit. I think so. He whips Bigelow into the rail one time, and Bigelow hits so hard he almost like spins out into the crowd. So. My favorite moment in the match is like this creepy image of Gene Oakland standing on the uh, King of the Ring set. <laughs> he looks like a guy watching that would bring Lord Regal into to uh, to come out. I wish that's another great thing that's happening right now in WCW. Yes, uh, probably better than anything you might see over here, actually. So. Oh yeah, he didn't need King of the Ring to already be elevated above this. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, there's a lot of fighting outside the ring. Big little slam Bret Hart in the aisle at one point. I always like aisle fights, um, so there's something good about that as well. Luna runs out with a chair and and doesn't really hit him, but you know, kind of puts the chair on his back. <laughs> uh, here's the worst part of the match to me, worse than the bear hug, I think, is that after that chair shot, Bigelow will pin Bret Hart, one, two, three, and then Earl Hebner, of all people, runs down to reverse the <laughs> screw job, I guess, and this is, like, where was Earl Hebner when Hulk Hogan got fireballed, I guess, yeah. to, like, run down and tattle? I hate this. Every time this happens, every time someone runs down to be a tattletale, and the referee reverses it or restarts the match, then I always hate that. That's the worst part of the match to me. That that soured me as well. It's, yeah. it's doing too much, and it's stupid. Like, I if I was running a company, both of those referees would be fired at the end of the night. Like, it would be an ultimate warrior thing where I'd be like, when they come through the curtain, I'm firing them. <laughs> I'm with you there. That was poor, so I, I got to give criticism to that. Um, I guess it saves Bam Bam because, like I said, like, this Bam Bam can't beat Bret Hart. They have made it clear that, you know, like, his contract should be up. Right. But at the same time, he's never going to do anything, so just don't do that. Right, yeah, I don't know. Like, they always seem like they want to do something with Bigelow, but they don't. So, like, why Why are we even here, you know? I don't know. I guess he's got the main event WrestleMania 11. Okay? I, I, forget. <laughs> I forgot about that. I've never seen that. So I guess we'll see how that goes. Um I don't think I've ever watched the match, but like I've never watched it for sure. So God, I wonder if it'll shit. be better right, than so. Sean and Nash because I actually really don't like that match. So we'll see. Yeah, so this is, you know, again, like it's not doing Bret Hart any favors. Like, like I guess he's got to be an underdog because he's like so short. It's like six foot one or six foot two or whatever he is, you know. But like for fuck's sake. The man beat Mr. Perfect and Razor Ramon, and he can't get past Bam Bam Bigelow. And so, like, in my mind, Bam Bam won King of the Ring. And, like, I'm not going to – like, I know fans <laughs> are not like this, but, like, I'm not cheering Bret Hart for this crap. Like, I'm not – like, I don't care if it's Lex Luger or Shawn Michaels. Like, I'm not not proud of you because a referee ran out and restarted the match, and then you get your ass kicked again after that, but you barely get the pin the second time. <laughs> I think there's some fun things after the restart. Uh, Brett will actually dive out onto Bigelow at one time, which is uh, pretty unusual for this era. Um, but, yes, he has many problems. Once again, he can't get the sharpshooter. He does get that victory roll, which will uh, pick him up the win. Um, so Bret Hart is king, like it or not. And, uh, you know, it's uh, not the most impressive win that you might think of. I would have to agree with that. Especially, like, this should have been the sharpshooter, because if you're going to get beat, right. like, it, 
don't don't come back with a victory roll because then it's like, well, Bam Bam beat him and then he sneaked past Bam Bam the second time. Right. Yeah. At that point, like, come back with the the dominant win. You know, dig deep. But uh, it doesn't really happen. So. I don't know, but and then. Jerry, this Jerry Lawler Bret Hart thing, I didn't like it when I was a kid, and now I watch it now. Like, I've never seen WWF look more like a regional company. <laughs> like, I thought that we were in a different building because they were showing like the ceiling and there was all this like stuff that looked different. I was like, yeah, suddenly they're in the Manhattan Center somehow. So. Yeah, it just looked small and like I love like Bret Hart deserves way better than what I'm going to say because the perfect match even moved me, but. When I was watching this, I thought Bret Hart should have been the big fish in a regional pond. <laughs> like, I could see him like Jerry Lawler, you know, having 77 world title reigns and having the time of his life in a regional space. Sure, and sure. to me, for whatever reason, this whole thing, I don't know if it's Jerry Lawler, I don't know if it's the era, but man, it felt like we moved to Memphis for the last scene and like there was nobody in the building and it was not WWF. And it's the end of the show. And I guess maybe that's just the now I'm talking myself into at least understanding Brett being pissed off, but like, God, it just looks tacky and small to me. And I don't give a, I don't care um, who the real king is. Jerry Law is not a king, and Bret Hart's not a king, so I don't want to see them fight over who's a pretend king when they're both pretend kings. I sure already know that Owen Hart is the real king. Yes, he is a king. I, I agree with that. <laughs> Uh, this is the the complexity of real life and uh, trying to, to to pick apart narratives because on the same show, my learned colleague the Mystic has said Bret Hart deserves like everything and now he deserves like nothing and both of those things can be true so that yes. that is real life, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, and that's why I love you, and that's why I can't <laughs> do stuff with people long term, but I can do the show because like it's all true, you know. It's all you got to look at perspectives and angles and stuff, but. You know, God, when you watch him with perfect, like that could be a world title match itself. If it, if this is the world title match and it's Bret Hart and Jerry Lawler, I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and over the Burger King chant too, and Bret Hart like chanting Burger King. I don't want my babyface world champion to be doing that. Right, I gotcha. I feel like I remember enjoying their match at SummerSlam, so part of me wants to give credit to this feud, but. The Burger King thing, the way it's presented, you're right, it's poor, you know, it's just not what it ought to be. It feels, it does feel like it takes place in a different, like, company than the Mr. Perfect match, which was so good, so something is not firing well here. Yeah, and Brett asked him, like, why didn't you enter the tournament? So, to me, <laughs> not, not only not entering the tournament, not interfering in the tournament, like, and it's like when someone won it, then all of a sudden he, he oh, my God, uh, there's someone going to be king. I didn't realize they were going to take it that far. <laughs> and here's the other thing. And again, I'm not so familiar with these coming years, but I feel like Brett and Lawler will feud for years, literally. Yes. So why? Like, it's just very strange to think about. This might be Brett Hart's Bobby Heenan. <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> But, you know, that this is the weasel chant, and this is the feud, and this is the thing that keeps coming. But they do. that Somehow in 95, 96, Isaac Yankum, all these other things that have nothing to do with this right here. Right. That is weird. You're right. And then, I don't know, this Jerry Lawler. Like, I want to like Jerry Lawler, too. But, you know, God, every time. This feels so regional, this last part. And that's not a bad thing, but it's not a WWF thing, and it's not a... 
I just replaced Hulk Hogan thing either. If this actually felt like what I've seen of Memphis, it would have been a lot better. This feels like like the WWF's weird idea of like what Memphis would be. So yeah, it's just you know. And then what is Bret Hart going to retaliate with? Because he has to do the Burger King thing, I guess. Because the only other, I am the king. You know, you better refer to me as king. Like, baby faces can't even want to be king. Right. A, I was just going to say, like, no baby face should ever win King of the Ring anyway. Because what are you going to say? I'm the king. No, you can't say that. No. no baby face can say that. <laughs> what a silly affair here. It's very silly, for sure. Uh and it's, uh, it's like I said, it's a there. There are times that I'm like, this is a damn good pay per view, and then there are times that I'm like, nope, this is not it. <laughs> uh, I think it's a lot more good than bad on the night, yes. but uh, there are some clear drawbacks that do make you kind of pause here. And it, like you said, I think they pull out a cool thing, like with the wrestling doing Ken Jerry Lawler, so it goes to good places, I think. But yeah, I can see Brett being upset, but also here's what the fans don't realize. This Bret Hart has not really been over any more than anybody, maybe less than quite a few. And the thing that's going to elevate him is going to take place with him not doing the things he wanted to do. It's going to be coming out of this feud, like winning King of the Ring, winning two matches at SummerSlam. And then more than anything else, it's going to be having his family betray him and having the fans connect to him. So at Royal Rumble, you can connect to Bret Hart because his brother He's all about family and his brother betray him. Or you could connect to Lex Luger because two hired uh, Japanese guys you never heard of, heard of put trash cans on him in the back uh, in a random scene. <laughs> oh, my. It's going to be interesting to get into all that. Yes, but what launches Bret Hart is this valley. It's not this mountain. It's the valley that will, like, when he returns to the world title, yeah. he will be a new person and it will be because of the path that he started right now. What a strange career for Bret Hart. Like, for all his work to, like, build up, we've said, like, building year over year, he's going to have a lot of ups and downs that really are not his fault, I think. So it'll be interesting to follow that. Yeah, he feels like a very weaving, like, yeah. like journey. It's going around long curves and up mountains and down hills. Yeah, interesting, I mean, one interesting. day he'll be having one of the best feuds we've seen with, like, Roddy Piper or the best match with Mr. Perfect, but then he'll be, like, you know, this weak world champion who has nothing to say for himself except, I've been here every day for years, <laughs> you know. And sometimes he'll be in this amazing feud with his family, and sometimes he'll be like, that pirate stole my jacket, you know. So yes, yes. <laughs> it, it'll sure. really go up and down for this guy. <laughs> I think the best thing he could possibly do is what he has done and escape that eight-and-a-half-year narrative. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He should have left and come back just to escape it. <laughs> just like, yeah. Oh, I just got here, so, you know. But he now is doing what the Hulk Hogan's and the Lex Luger's can't and won't do. is like He's winning multiple matches, and one night he's winning with different moves. Yeah. Like, this, it's not just the storylines that are going to get him over, but it's also these storylines that are going to allow him to showcase you know, the only thing that makes him different and worthwhile you know, and that's going to be that he can bring you a whole different thing that nobody else can bring. Mm-hmm. So aside from Owen Hart, like he's on his way, and I'm curious for SummerSlam. I'm curious for the Owen feud. WrestleMania 10 is a big moment because I think 93 is this weird in between place. Like 92 was something, and then late 92 and 93 is kind of just this. This weird in between. Mm-hmm. 
But when you have WrestleMania 10, that 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 double digit rounded number in Madison Square Garden and Hulk Hogan's not there and Bret Hart's beating the guy who beat Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart's becoming the WWF champion. And he's got this heated feud with Owen and the fans are into it. Like, you know that you have now entered a place that you can never go back to where you were again. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. And even on this night where we have mixed feelings about, like, what Bret Hart did and how over he is, I think nights like this built him an enduring fandom with, like, certain kinds of fans. And you see that now, like, the reputation of this night is very high. I was just seeing, like, someone was like, oh, what Bret Hart matches should I watch? And, like, a lot of the comments were, just watch the whole King of the Ring, 93, you know? So, like, there's something enduring about this. Even if it doesn't make him, like, an overnight megastar, he's, like, building up his own stardom brick by brick once again. And it is going to pay off for him in the long run, because, like, in 97... He'll be, like, one of the biggest stars ever, it'll really feel like. So there's a lot to say for that. Yeah, and again, I will confuse people because <laughs> if I hear people say that, I'm not mad at them. I respect that narrative. Right. I just point out that that narrative also came because he didn't get what he wanted, you know. And sure, sure. Like, the longevity of that, that is what Bret Hart is. And you can't be the WWF champion and be out there doing these three matches. Like, that's just not going to happen. So this is building the thing that will last forever. and. It's what I never get with Lex Luger, so I can't really talk about what it feels like. But I can imagine what it's like to be a fan of a wrestler, and they win the title, and then they lose the title. And it's like they're never going to get the title again, and you stay with them through all of that. And then they win the title at WrestleMania 10. Like, that's probably fucking amazing, you know, <laughs> I would I would guess. Um, not quite the same journey as uh, going from SummerSlam 93 out to uh, that 97 victory for Luger, but uh, maybe there's something like that. Of course, that didn't yeah. last, so, you know. They never do. They never I even do. Like, yeah. Yesterday, I was thinking, like, WWF has released everybody that ever existed on their roster, and Bobby, where the hell is Bobby Roode? Is he still, like... Uh, yeah, he's still there, I guess. He can never be released for whatever reason, so... I don't even know world. if we'd want him back now. Like, I love Bobby Roode, but... I think his window is closed. I'm sad to say. I could be wrong, yeah. but I don't know. I saw him with the mustache too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't doesn't bode well. I don't know if he's supposed to be like the son of Rick Rude now with the mustache or what, but like that's all I could think I don't of. Know. So. Who knows? I know we live in a world where Bray Wyatt lost his job and Bobby Rude is still employed. So <laughs> like, I don't care. Maybe he'll go back to TNA or like, but you know, or NWA. Like, but just sure. let him do something. For God's sake. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I get it. I get the Bret Hart thing. And like, especially like if you were like a kind of smart fan in a world where that didn't exist, like you, you pick Bret Hart over Luger, over Hogan, and you just knew. And then the world proves you right. And like with the Internet thing <laughs> takes off in the later 90s and like everybody's kind of like that eventually. Like what a story, you know, yeah. what a story, what a journey. And Bret Hart stands for it. Like Bret Hart's international. So there are a lot of Bret Hart storylines that I get. And again, these are the nights though, you know, Lex Luger ain't winning three, three matches that everybody talks about in years later. And Lex Luger's not going to beat Doink and Jerry Lawler in one night and everybody talk about it. So yeah. it might be the not, it might not be the road that Bret Hart wants, but it's the road that is going to make Bret Hart. <laughs> All anybody talks about is that damn bus with Lex Luger. Yeah, you know, gosh. You know. <laughs> I hate that. Honestly, I'm still thinking about 
Bret Hart drawing butts backstage and people inside them. That that shakes my whole image of Bret Hart somehow. That's not a very Earth move. I'll just say that. Yeah, he was a pissed off Bret Hart. Is is there's a lot of fire that comes with that, and we'll like <laughs> very ninety seven is the only time he's ever a good character, and that's because of that. I guess that's that same energy he'll bring in ninety seven where he starts swearing and throwing tantrums. So yeah, you know he's a scary man when he's mad. I wonder if he ever drew. A picture of Shawn Michaels' butt. I'll just say that. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, <laughs> go to Canada, and he's done so much. Like, he had a whole, like, I think, public weekly, monthly publication, semi-regular publication with art. Yeah, like an art, like a column or something. I remember yeah. reading about that. So, Isn't it weird that they both do that, Lawler and Brett, and then they're having this feud at the end? They should have just had a feud where they sat in the ring drawing pictures of each other, and the fans, like, judge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you say that like maybe it didn't happen on one of these uh, shows that we, we might cover. So. Yeah, I hope it did. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. I think that's everything we've got. Anything else you want to talk about before we call it here? Uh, that's it. We are we're transitioning into, I guess, the road to SummerSlam. Yep, we're going to have road to SummerSlam next week. And then before we get there, we're going to have a very, very special in-depth episode on Lex Luger. We don't even know exactly what all is going to go into that. We're going to definitely talk about the legacy of Luger. I don't know if we're going to look at matches or segments or just free conversate about uh, the total package. It will be very interesting. I'm looking forward to that. And then, of course, we will be at SummerSlam and we'll be on from there. So it's going to be some very fun stuff coming up. Absolutely. Moving through 93, and it's been it's been an adventure. I'm looking forward to the second half. Absolutely. It's been interesting. We'll continue to be so. So thank you for listening. Once again, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Spectral Gent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. So check out LOPforums.com. we got a great thread about the show there. You can have further conversations. A lot of other great uh, threads and uh, articles and columns in there as well. Not to mention WrestlingHeadlines.com, our main page for even more great written material and all the other great podcasts on our radio network. Hope you'll check it all out. So much wonderful content for you to consume, as is the modern way. Some very good stuff. Next week, we will be back. And uh, until then, Mystic, go ahead and take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear it's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen 
every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature and salty tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared Discovered.